there, and welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each season we select six movies all related to one single theme. Then on each episode, we take a look at the people in front of and behind the camera to try to make sense out of how and why each movie was made. But that's not all. After all that, we give you a detailed review of the entire movie from beginning to end to see if they're any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with my co-host and charmingly funny friend, Mr. Bo Ransdell, we are presenting this season's theme, Game On, where we are taking on six movies inspired by video games. This season, we featured films based on all kinds of video games. Third-person action-adventure, first-person arcade shooters, mobile app games, flight battle simulators, and classic arcade games from the 1980s. But with this, our sixth and final episode of Season 7, we deliver a movie based on old-fashioned martial arts arcade action. That's right, it's time for Street Fighter. And not the one with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Raul Julia. That's way too classy for this podcast. No, sir, we're talking about Street Fighter, the legend of Chun-Li. You've tried the best, now try the rest, as we proudly present a truly terrible movie based on one of the most influential video games of all times. Influential, you say, tilting your head slightly to one side in confusion? That's right. And to explain to you just how influential Street Fighter was to modern day gaming, let's turn things over to Mr. Bo Ransdell, a man who always has my back when a fight breaks out in a seedy alleyway in a shady part of town. When it comes to Street Fighter, the first time is most certainly not the charm. If you're a video game kind of person, when you hear Street Fighter, you probably think of Ken and Ryu and Chun-Li and Vega and Blanka and Kami, a colorful cast of characters selected to do battle against one another. Or more precisely, selected to do battle against those jerks you call friends. Except the original Street Fighter was stripped down, a very basic fighting game and nothing like you remember. For starters, let's talk about the phenomenon that is Street Fighter. It spawned a couple of movies, one of which we'll be talking about on this very episode, but that's a minor accomplishment for one of the most storied franchises in video game history. I mean, if you don't count the original Street Fighter, released in 1987. In the game, which was almost exclusively played on an arcade cabinet in one of those dingy arcades where you just knew someone was on drugs, you played as Ryu, a martial artist who hops around the globe fighting other characters like Birdie and Geki. For a multiplayer, a friend could be Ken, or, well, just Ken. One of the most surprising things about the original Street Fighter is how unlike Street Fighter that game is. So, for all the talk of Street Fighter, it's really the sequel people are referencing. The original game had some similar features, like the characters of Ken and Ryu, and a globe-trotting map where you move from stage to stage with alternating backgrounds, kicking and punching your opponent along the way. But that was it. And Capcom, the company behind Street Fighter, almost didn't make the game that would become one of the most successful video games of all time. First, Capcom tried to get the rights to a game called Final Fight, a side-scrolling beat-em-up in the style of Double Dragon. Basically, the screen scrolls to the right and you punch and kick your way through the enemies to a boss who almost certainly kills you, so you have to add quarters. But yes, Street Fighter 2 was going to be a Final Fight game, rebranded to Street Fighter. When that didn't work, Capcom just hired the guys who made Final Fight, Akira Nishitani and Akira Yasuda, to make Street Fighter 2. 
Instead of delivering the beat-em-up game they were known for, though, the Akiras changed game history. First, they gave the player far more choice. Instead of just playing Ryu or Ken, the player could pick from a variety of characters, and each of those characters had unique moves. For the first time, players had mains, or characters they played almost exclusively in order to master the combinations and attacks unique to that character. When it arrived in arcades in 1991, it landed with a seismic impact on the gaming community. Players were captivated by the mechanics of the game and, for the first time, could grapple and throw and use character-specific attacks. Every fighting video game that came after borrowed something from Street Fighter II. Not only did it set records for money collected in the arcades, Street Fighter II was a massive hit on home video game consoles too. More than 14 million copies of the home version were sold for the Super NES and Sega Genesis systems. Coupled with the money brought in from the half million cabinets around the world, Street Fighter II has made, adjusted for inflation, around $10 billion. Street Fighter II sits behind Space Invaders and Pac-Man as the three most profitable games of all time. That's what a big hairy deal Street Fighter II was. So following the release of Street Fighter II, Capcom realized they had something special on their hands. They released an update to the arcade game called Street Fighter II Champion Edition, which featured some new characters and allowed mirror matches or the ability to match the same character against one another on the screen. Street Fighter II Hyper Turbo added some new moves and sped up gameplay, which was a response to bootleg machines that started cropping up in arcades that ran a little bit faster than the old Street Fighter II cabinets. Super Street Fighter II The New Challengers included new graphics, new music, and new playable characters. And finally, there was Super Street Fighter II Turbo, which included the hidden boss Akuma as a playable character. Ugh, that's a lot of Street Fighter II. And that doesn't count the console versions, where Super Street Fighter Turbo was generally considered the best version of that game. Like The Godfather 2 or Empire Strikes Back, Street Fighter 2 was the realization of something truly special, the second in a franchise that made the first one even better. A game that would create a whole new genre of gaming, and so in no small way, began the professional gaming scene we have today. Now, some of you may not know this, but even as we speak, or I speak and you listen, there are people who truly make a living playing video games competitively. I don't mean those folks on YouTube or Mixer or Twitch who play games while you watch. No, I mean honest-to-goodness competitors. You pick a game, there's probably a scene for it, not unlike sexual fetishes. Dota 2 is a multiplayer online battle arena, or MOBA, that draws players to an event called The International. The most recent prize pool for that event was $30 million, with the first place team last year, OG, garnering $11 million. Second place was a little over $4 million. Better luck next time, losers. But that's just one example. At EVO, one of the premier fighting game tournaments, the first prize winner for Street Fighter V, which is the current Street Fighter game, won almost $85,000. And that is one of several tournaments and completely excludes cash games played in hotel rooms at these conventions, which is a real and awesome thing that happens, and the sponsorships from gaming hardware folks awarded to some of these players. Oh, and also, less accomplished players often hire these guys and girls to tutor them in one-on-one -on -one sessions that don't come cheap. A top-tier Street Fighter player can make well over six figures a year, today. As we have established, Street Fighter II is the game that made the world take notice, even Hollywood and Capcom is not above handing the rights to their properties out to whomever would like to make a movie. They're the same company that releases those Resident Evil games. Have you seen those movies? I have, 
All of them. Ugh, I'm gonna regret that on the deathbed. Anyway, Capcom decided that it was time to squeeze a few more million out of the Street Fighter franchise. In 1994, Capcom fronted the cash for a Street Fighter movie to the tune of $35 million. Chump change considering what they were making on the game. Thinking on the game's ubiquitous popularity, Capcom hired Steven E. D'Souza, the guy who wrote Die Hard among other movies, and decided they wanted a December release date in 1994. D'Souza wrote a script overnight to get it in the hands of Capcom executives visiting Los Angeles from Japan. And Capcom had incredible sway in the production, demanding approval of everything, including the casting of Jean-Claude Van Damme as the hero Guile. That bit of casting cost production $8 million of its $35 million budget, almost a full quarter. Raul Julia played the villainous M. Bison, and he didn't come cheap either. The rest of the cast was hired for pennies in comparison. Even the stunt casting of singer Kylie Minogue as Cammy couldn't save this movie. It was rushed through production, hamstrung by Raul Julia's illness, a bad script, and stunts that were conceived sometimes on the day of. And yet, upon release, Street Fighter did alright. It was critically panned, of course, mostly because it's terrible, but people did show up. The Street Fighter brand could open a movie especially with Jean-Claude Van Damme in the lead. Funny to me, the first cut of the movie received an R rating for violence. That was, of course, unacceptable to Capcom. D'Souza made some cuts and the next pass garnered a G rating. That was also unacceptable to Capcom, so D'Souza included a single expletive to bump the movie up to the desired PG-13. But it still plays like a kid's movie with an F-bomb tossed in like a vulgar grenade. Also, the vulgar grenade is my wrestling name. Anyway, Capcom was happy with the box office returns, but not with the critical savagery and decided that Street Fighter might be best left to the arcades. There was a short-lived animated television series that followed the movie, but it would be over a decade before Capcom allowed another live-action adaptation. Ashok Armitrage was the chairman of Hyde Park Entertainment when his kids came to him and told their movie-making dad he should make a movie based on their favorite game, Street Fighter. Armitrage was a producer for such films as Battlefield Earth, Get Carter, that remake of Walking Tall with The Rock, and Dylan Dog Dead of Night, another movie we should do on this show sometime. The idea of an action film based on the Street Fighter series appealed to Amortage, and he secured the rights. Justin Marks, a first-time screenwriter, was hired to write the script. He lobbied for the job because he said he loved the game so much. Marks said of Street Fighter, quote, I think the game will always be popular because it is the first social video game, bringing people into the arcades. Up until the release of Street Fighter, people played games in their homes, on personal computers, or via text-based games like Atari. End quote. A few notes, Atari, to the best of my knowledge, has always been a company, not a game, and was not text-based as such. Also, arcades were waning in the Street Fighter years, thanks to the home consoles being released, and so Street Fighter might have made some return to the arcades, but it was in no way a game that drew people initially to arcades. Basically, I think Justin Marks might have been just a wee bit full of shit. So, Marks writes a bad script, spoilers, and Andre Barkoyak is hired to direct, who is chiefly a cinematographer, but he had directed Rome Must Die, Exit Wounds, and Doom, a video game adaptation that is also pretty bad. He said he wanted this new adaptation of Street Fighter to be grounded and gritty, but with an exaggerated reality and color scheme. Dark and gritty and colorful and unearthly. Yes, I also love the taste of cookies and being not fat, Barkoiak. Make up your mind! Hey, on the bright side, Don Lamb was hired on to choreograph the action scenes for this movie, which sounds great on paper. This was the same guy who did the fight scenes in Spider-Man 2 and The Matrix. Hey, those were good. 
It was through Lam that the production found their titular Chun-Li of this Street Fighter adaptation, Kristen Kruick, who was a star pupil of Lam's. She was best known at the time as Lana Lang turned Lana Luthor on Smallville. She stated she had no hope of looking like the Chun-Li of the game, what with that character's tremendously muscular thighs and weirdly squat proportions, so she focused on channeling the character's inner strength, I guess? We'll see about that one. Michael Clark Duncan shows up as Balrog, and he's kind of the best part of all of this. Robin Shu plays Jin, Chun-Li's mystical teacher. He was Liu Kang in the Mortal Kombat movie, which was a game derivative of Street Fighter 2, which is a fun little Ouroboros. The perpetually pale person Neil McDonough steps into Raul Julia's shoes as Bison in a decidedly less over-the-top performance. Oh, and Chris Klein is in this movie as some sort of American loose cannon? I'm not sure, it's a mess. And the whole thing got shot in Bangkok, Thailand, where the director, Barkoak, thought that the setting would contribute to the chaotic feeling of the action in the script. When Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li was released, the movie landed with a distinct thud. It made around $12 million. While the production budget doesn't seem to be available, that probably means it lost money. And critics savaged the movie. My favorite being from Roger Moore, not that one, of the Orlando Sentinel, who said, This is roughly 20 times better than the first Street Fighter movie. It's still a waste of time, but unlike the game, it's over in 95 minutes. And video games were no more impressed. Ryan Davis of the video game website Giant Bomb said it was, quote, a re-envisioning of the source material by people who can't see. You got that one right, Duder. It's ironic to me that the movies defied the pattern set by the games. While the first game, Street Fighter, did little to excite gamers, the reimagining of that game launched a whole new movement into gaming. Not only the fighting genre, but competitive gaming in general can trace its roots back to Street Fighter 2 directly. Where the movie adaptation of 1994 was hilariously flawed, there was a real opportunity to make something special here. And the ingredients were there. A different tone, a different cast, an exciting fight choreographer, and somehow Chris Klein slunk onto the set. And yet, and yet, it didn't work. It spectacularly didn't work. Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li was designed to be the beginning of a new run of Street Fighter films, and the end certainly suggests more to come, but it didn't. The Legend of Chun-Li has sunk the franchise in cinema for a few more years at least, though how long can it be before Capcom needs a few more bucks and some scrappy writer with dreams of those Atari text games in his or her head join forces to reimagine yet again Street Fighter for the silver screen? But what makes this movie so bad that it would stop a would-be film franchise in its tracks? Did Justin Marks ever see the 89 Batman, or is this all just coincidence? And how many more of these movies can I subject Chad to before he quits the show in protest? Only one way to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, Kins and Ryu's, put your quarters on the deck. It's time for 2009's Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. Chad, looks like we got ourselves a hot one tonight. That is, of course, my rendition of the character Nash from tonight's film, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. Thank you very much, Chad. Uh, As always here, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Bo. 
And thank you to the audience uh, for for your kind indulgence as I perform my one-man show, Nash, Nash, Nash. Uh, and that's how it ends. <laughs> Chad, here we are at the end of Season 7, uh, of course, entitled Game On, and uh, this is it. This is the end of the road. It's kind of sad, but not at all. Right, because, you know, we're going to do another season. We've already got the movies picked out. I had to order a movie from Germany, Chad. Well, I didn't have to, but... Yeah, you you chose to, but that's that's on you. I, I will say that I really think that collectively this was the worst batch of movies we've ever watched in a season. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I like to think... Here's, here's why I think Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li is the perfect way to end Season 7. It is uh, a very poorly considered adaptation of a video game. Yes, that, it is. That bears almost no resemblance to its source material. Agreed. And it's a direct ripoff of a bunch of other better movies. If you say so. And and that, I think, is the tale of video game movies as a whole. I think, as overall, they're largely crappy. The filmmakers don't seem to understand what makes them popular and in some cases i just don't think video games like it's a totally different storytelling medium why on earth would you even bother making it a movie because it's already it's like why would you ever make a grand theft auto movie when the better version of it already exists or why would you make an uncharted movie when uncharted is already lifting pages from other films right to make a video game it's just it doesn't make any sense to do that. Do you think if they made an Uncharted movie, and which I think they are, uh, they made the Uncharted movie and they were like, look, we can't call him Nathan Drake for legal reasons. What if we call him Indiana Jones? <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. That finally an Indiana Jones movie I could get excited about. <laughs> can you imagine? I know we're going to, we'll start to talk about this Chun-Li movie in a second, everybody. But can you imagine if they drag the skeleton of Harrison Ford back for another Indiana Jones movie the way they've talked about? Just, hey, Marion. I'm lost. The bathroom's like, over that way, Mr. Jones. The plane takes off and there's no direct lines. It just squiggles all over the place because here's a board's all drunk again. Somebody just threw a big handful of red yarn on the map. Go that yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so The Legend of Chun Li Chad is. Uh, a movie based on the Street Fighter video game, obviously. Did you ever play much Street Fighter? Were you a Street Fighter a, guy? A little bit here and there in the arcade, but but not too terribly much. But I knew of it. And in watching this movie, I really felt like if you changed out the title and got rid of the Capcom logo, I wouldn't even know that it was based on a video game. I think the name Chun-Li I certainly associate with Street Fighter. I'm not a Street Fighter player either, but I know that. It didn't have any of the characters I remember from Street Fighter. That fat sumo wrestler and that green electric somersaulting troll guy. I was like, (laughs) where are they in this movie? But they don't show up. No, this is all... It's an origin story, Chad. Uh, Somehow uh, it is a sequel a prequel, and a reboot all at the same time. Yeah, it's a big fucking mess, so let's get into it. The The movie opens on, the, on Chun-Li, our titular character, as a child, uh, playing piano as uh, we get some voiceover. There is some real shitty voiceover in this movie that I dearly love, where she it's her playing piano, and the voiceover is like, I always wanted to be a concert pianist. And yeah. it's like, yeah, I get it, voiceover. You don't have to tell me that. The little girl playing piano is... <laughs> Filling me in on that one. She's playing Chopin's Waltz number nine in A flat, uh, Opus 69 number one. 
And it's pretty brilliant. For, for pianist, Chopin is a great uh, champion of personal expressions. His works really split the difference between like serious Germanic tradition that located musical meaning in the inner motivic relationships of composition spearheaded really by Beethoven and the lighter musical styles catering to like a concert going middle class public, but it really typified the Italian Belcanto tradition. His music was always tinged with melancholy and makes manifest just like your most intimate feelings, our most private states of mind. The whole interior of our being is an exterior world that we would prefer uh, to find in our own mind uh, as opposed to in the the day-to-day business of our everyday life. But I digress. For a second there, I thought it was Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang, but one of them (laughs) slowed down versions they use for movie trailers. There's no way a five-year-old is playing this music on a piano. I do not believe this one bit. And in the background, we got the Golden Gate Bridge and we're in San Francisco. Why? I don't know. Just to explain why her mom is a white woman from America. Well, and then immediately she's like, hey, this place you can't, like, we're not going to name names here, but if you look closely, we're in San Francisco. She, like, you see her dad watching over, looking, you know, paternal and whatnot. And then her vo- in voiceover, Chun Li says, everything was was great and then we went to hong kong and everything went to shit <laughs> and she's like i don't know what my father did for a living but he was a wink wink businessman and we moved around a lot which i'm like so he's in the mob he's a drug lord maybe a serial killer professional assassin like like there's only a handful of occupations that really fall into the description that you are providing to us yeah, no, he could be a secret Dexter or something. You have no idea. <laughs> so they move into this swanky new house in Hong Kong, and Chun Li is being a, a little snoop and is watching her father out in the garden practicing Tai Chi or some shit. And she's like, hey, that looks interesting. I'll go investigate. And he basically starts training her at this point to be an assassin. Yeah, it's the art of wushu, which is Chinese kung fu. Yes. I know that because I looked it up. Yeah, I, I did the same where I was like, what is Wushu? I knew for a second I thought it was Wushu pork and I realized then that it was Mushu pork, not Wushu pork, uh, because that would be a, a Kung Fu practicing pig, which now that I say it, this season has been filled with a lot of animal ideas like President Monkey. And I, I think Kung Fu pig is up there with one of our better ideas. During this montage, Chun-Li's father teaches her how to fight. And as Chun-Li learns more in the ways of martial arts, she gets older and she really transforms before our eyes from a naive, wide-eyed, five-year-old Asian girl into a young, budding, white American teenage girl. <laughs> yeah, I think Kristen Crook, the act- actress, is like, I think she's part Chinese or something. Oh, but not by much. The first girl is clearly Asian. The second girl, you're like, she might be Puerto Rican. Young Chung Lee looks like the kid the couple at church adopts to get the compliments. And older Chun Lee looks like her older teenage sister that is going to grow to resent her. <laughs> suddenly it's late at night and Chun-Li's dad comes home and he's got a briefcase handcuffed to his wrist. And here I'm thinking, whoa, is this guy into BDSM? Or or we call that the football, Chad. Handcuffs outside of a patrol car or police headquarters. I immediately am thinking light bondage or maybe the Saw movies. Hey, just wait for it, Chad. It's coming. I know. And (laughs) and so 
dad he co- goes to the fridge for a beer or something and then an arrow comes through the window and he sn- you gotta slow down we, i want to take this one step at a time because this is bonkers all right so what what happens before he opens the fridge and the arrow comes through the fucking window that that's the starter pistol for this whole nonsense it is an arrow that you would associate with maybe like a crossbow or professional archery gear your snake pliskins possibly a <laughs> latter-day clint eastwood role something that's where a man is out to kill other men and then out of nowhere michael clark duncan crashes through the wall of this mansion's kitchen like the kool-aid man it's the best it is just a like through the glass to protect himself, Chun Li's dad throws a can of peaches at Michael Clark Duncan, which he immediately catches and then just discards. You think he's just going to crush it in his hand as a show of strength. Instead, he's just like, peaches, no thanks. And <laughs> tosses it aside. And then, speaking of tossing, Balrog just picks up Chun Li's dad and tosses him around like a rag doll. Yeah, it's a, it's a fight scene that either successfully fails to deliver a believable action fight sequence through poor stunt coordination, confusing cinematography, and ill-conceived editing, or conversely, it successfully delivers a campy action sequence in a movie based on a video game through poor stunt coordination, confusing cinematography, and ill-conceived editing. I will take issue with that, Chad. I think the stunt choreography is actually okay. It's just poorly filmed and, and horribly edited? Yes, and I, because there are a number of times in the in the movie where we'll talk about these fight scenes, so I'll get this out of the way right now. I think the fight scenes could be good if you took, like, they're clearly aping a bit of the Matrix, but what made the Matrix so good was that they used a lot of wide shots and you, you focused on the action at a distance for several seconds at a time so you could see the stunt people do their shit and that's what made it so cool it was you got to see keanu reeves and Lawrence fishburne you know fighting each other in a way that was convincing and this movie it's so quick and the shots are so close up it's all just a bunch of mishmash nonsense and you half the time you don't know what's happening and when you do you're like well how the fuck did she get on his head you know it feels like a movie that was produced by the wwe yeah, except there's a little bit more class to their Leprechaun movie, uh, which is something that is hard to believe. And yes. but, all right, so after Balrog tosses Chun Li's dad around for a second, and wait, Balrog is Michael Clark Duncan. I didn't put down names. Yeah, so it's Michael Clark okay. Duncan, right. and then some extra ninjas show up from somewhere. Who knows where? That just hanging out, and they were like, "Hey, what happened to our boss? Oh, I think he's in there fighting that dude." Oh shit, man! Should we go in? He said we would know when to come in, but what is that? What is that? Oh, what was that crash? Wait, did he just catch a can of peaches? We we should go in. We we that should is, go. That that is a lot of screaming. Should we go in now? Is it too soon? Should we jump through that Michael Clark Duncan shaped hole in the wall, or do you think we should go in the front door? Should I just text him and see if he's okay? Woo! Uh, but Whippoorwill. <laughs> he didn't look back. Look up here! Look up here! <laughs> 
Uh, so dad, uh, Chun Li's dad, is making quick work of the the ninjas who show up out of nowhere, and like he does this thing where it's kind of that jerk move where where you're in college and you've got your beer sitting on the counter, somebody comes up and just taps the the bottom of their beer on the top of yours and it makes it spill off. He does that with a bottle of champagne so that the bottom of the the bottle flies off. And punches a dude in the face, uh, which I don't know how the physics of that work, but it was all right. Then he gets some champagne on his hand, Chad. Then a guy is coming at him with a chain. So what Chun Li's dad does, being a clever gentleman, is he just sets his hand on fire mm-hmm. and grabs the chain, which sets that on fire, which then sets the dude on fire. Yeah, it's a real Yosemite Sam. <laughs> powder keg running over the three hills moment not since ghost rider has a chain been this volatile <laughs> and so then chun li little chun li uh comes downstairs and balrog uh michael clark duncan grabs her and is like look what i got and then chad our villain of the film shows up which is m bison is the character's name as played by neil mcdonough mm-hmm and for some reason, Neil McDonough is using a weird accent he's never used before or since, thank goodness. I like, Rel Julia played in Bison as kind of a South American dictator. This character is like the the pirate ghost from the first Pirates movie. M. Bison turns to Chun-Li, young Chun-Li, and he says with this watered-down Irish slash Thai accent, he's like, ha-cha-cha-cha-cha, you're getting yourself to your bed, little wee one. A good laugh and a long sleep is all the two best cures for seeing your father beat the holy Christ in front of your eyes. Run along, little Chan Li. We're off to probably kill your father. Or maybe not. Get to bed. It's too late for you to be up. Regardless, it's not for your eyes, sweet girl. It's fun. It, like his accent is fucking ludicrous in this movie. Anyway, so he's like, "I should be told when you move from now on, Dad." And Chun Li just watches as M Bison is like, "We're gonna take your father now. We'll be seeing you, Daddy." And off they go. <laughs> M Bison and Michael Clark Duncan and those three hench ninjas they drag Chun Li's dad out to their car. And as soon as you wonder, like, "Where's Chun Li's mother?" She shows up to get slapped and knocked to the ground, and then. Chun-Li's dad screams out, Chun-Li! And M. Bison looks up and sees young Chun-Li in her bedroom window on like the third or fourth floor of this mansion. And Chun-Li is giving M. Bison this real look of, I am going to fuck you up one day. It is a stare that is just like, I am going to cut off your balls and stick them in your mouth. Right. You will be begging me for the sweet mercy of death long before you get it. So Chun-Li just goes to bed and as she's, you know, lying, uh, trying to figure out like, well, what's next for me? She finds a necklace on her bedstand, and then we, the audience, get a flashback and we see through sepia tones that Chun-Li's dad, way back in the day, gave her this necklace that when you spin it around, it, it's a medallion that has a bird on it that makes the wings flap. Which, why didn't we see that earlier? Why are we getting it in flashback now? Right. Why didn't we set that up at the Tai Chi scene? Right. And, all right, so that's not great. <laughs> then, if you know anything about the character of Chun-Li from the video game, you know she's got I, this... I don't. She's got this move where she basically spins around on her head and kicks. And so I this, would love to see her do that in a strip club. <laughs> well, you almost do here. It's, you totally do. 
Oh, that's right. That does happen in the strip club. I thought it happened. Yeah, never mind. Anyway, and then her dad gives her this line of shit about like, this is called the spinning bird. I got it from India. When a bird is under duress, it never stops moving. And it's like, not what? What mythology is this? What what story have you concocted to hide your criminal enterprises from your daughter? <laughs> that sounds like somebody who's like ridiculously high on cocaine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Chun Lee, come here. I want you to I want you to sit right here. All right, so I got this necklace, right? I'm telling you. Look, look, this slow. bird, you can just spin it around. Round, 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 round. Look how that slow bird down. goes. <laughs> slow down. Just please slow down. I'm under duress. I'm under duress. I can't stop moving. I'm just like this bird, Chun Lee. When I get under duress, I just can't stop moving. You know, I got to move. I got to move. I got to move. I got to move because I'm always thinking. I'm always coming up with ideas, Chun Lee. Kung Fu Pig, President Monkey. I got them all. I got the next must see Tuesday lineup right here, right here between my ears, Chun Lee. President Monkey, Kung Fu Big, Dramas with the Llamas. Cut to culture, Chad. Uh, it turns out Chun Li, as an adult, is playing piano in front of a painting of an audience or something. Right. Like, it is, holy shit, this is cheap. Uh, as she's playing, she has a flashback to her father because we can't go two minutes in this movie without having some cockamamie flashback popping in. And it's, you know, remembering uh, her father as, as, as she plays. And then the audience, in quotes, uh, <laughs> applauds and she heads backstage where there are flowers waiting for her in the dressing room with the one other orchestra member apparently Lucy her friend her friend Lucy who apparently is the other person in this orchestra because uh, you don't see nobody else and she says uh, Lucy does like huh I know why no no one wanted to play music with you at Juilliard Chun-Li and Chun-Li's all like, what the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> and Lucy's like, it's because you get all the flowers. And Chun-Li's like, oh, ha, 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 I was going to murder you. And then you diffused it. Good for you, Lucy. Well, then Lucy says, hey, was your mom able to make it to the concert? And she's like, no, my mom, she's sick with the cancer. Right, yeah. Immediately, is like, oh, the one who's dying? No, she didn't make it. Thanks, Could Lucy. Could your mother, who has stage four cancer, make it to the concert? No. Hmm. Kind of makes those flowers a little bittersweet, doesn't it, Chun-Li? Here's the upside, Chun-Li. If she goes quick, you can use them for the funeral. At this point, Lucy <laughs> moves from giving us character exposition to progressing the plot along. And she's like, hey, I almost forgot. Here's this giant ancient scroll on my makeup table that someone sent you. I don't know why I have it or why I forgot to give it to you because it's huge. In fact, it would have made more sense if they just delivered it to you. But anyway, here it is. Let's get this movie out of first gear. Yeah, everyone's real casual about this scroll. Like Chun-Li is, Lucy is. If you gave me a scroll, Chad, the first thing I would do is open it up. And if it opened up to what you see inside this scroll, I would be, in my opinion, on a treasure hunt. <laughs> yes. But yeah, Chun-Li is like, hmm, a scroll. I'll just put this away for a rainy day. Put it over here with all the others. <laughs> My <laughs> scrolls, my tablets, my ancient texts. I've also got a few voodoo dolls. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, and the tapestries. All the tapestries. It, yeah, it's nuts. Like, this screenplay was written by someone who had never talked to human beings before. <laughs> or or had an experience. Like, it's got to be one of those boy-in-the-bubble scenarios where, like, because of some weird allergy to air or something, he can just be in a bubble writing screenplays all day long, and you get something like this. That sounds awesome. I, now that I say it, I mean, 
It's really where I'm headed. Uh, So anyway, after Lucy uh, is done fucking with her, Chun-Li is taking the the subway uh, home in Hong Kong, presumably. Again, we're not really told. And there's a dude who's getting hassled by some some ruffians, some toughs. Yeah, my notes say he's getting the shit beat out of him. Yeah, that's kind of what's happening. And Chun-Li is just like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, oh, fuck this old man. And they take off. And she kind of helps him, sort of, but not really. She just kind of leans down and is like, can anyone help this man? (laughs) She doesn't do anything. Right. She's soliciting help for him. Yeah. But not helping him. Right, and and there's notably Chad. He's got a web tattoo on his hand. Yes, this will That's be mysterious. <laughs> yeah, this will be important later. It's a real jailhouse tat. I mean, it clearly looks like something that came from an India ink jar and a needle that had been lit up by a bick. Yeah, yeah. There was a car battery. Ever, ever tell you about going out on a date and uh, the girl I went out with? She had a tattoo on her back, and I asked her about it. It was a tattoo of a tree. And uh, I said, Where, where'd you get that tattoo? And she said, oh, my, my ex-boyfriend gave that to me with a piano wire and a car battery. And he did it himself like that. And that was the point I knew there wouldn't be a second date. <laughs> Good God. Uh-huh. Wait, that was the point where the woman you were dating said, I knew there wouldn't be a second date with him? Or that was the point where you said there wouldn't be a second date with her? Where I knew there wouldn't be a second date with her. Like, I oh, kind of okay. draw the line at jailhouse tattoos. I was thinking maybe she was letting a guy she was dating give her a jailhouse tattoo on the first date, but then halfway through she was like, you know what? This is a bad decision. Yeah, there are a lot of bad decisions made that night, Chad. Chun-Li returns home and hangs out with her mother who has, I think, bandage of the head is the disease she has. Dude, she's dying of cancer as well as Benjamin Button disease because Chun-Li looks (laughs) Five years older than her mother in this scene. And whatever actress played this mom, she clearly has a full head of hair. And as you just said, it's wrapped up in bandages, which I guess is what cheaper than a professional bald cap, but less controversial than her actually shaving her head. You can see hair peeking out from under the bandages. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's made worse by the fact that she keeps brushing the bandage. Yeah. Yeah. It's... It looks, again, there are moments where this movie looks so incredibly cheap and there was real money being spent on this. And you're just like, where did it go? Cancer patients lead such interesting lives. After uh, (laughs) her mother uh, says, oh, Chun-Li, you're here. You know, you're just like your father. Too bold. No, no, no. Uh, She says... (laughs) Mom, why are you never satisfied? Why do we scream at each other? No, so he... uh, Look at my necklace. The bird flies. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. That's what it sounds like when the dust... Anyway. (laughs) So her mother tells her, you're like your father because he was always standing up when standing wasn't easy. And I was like, wait, we never hear her father say that in this movie. Mm -mm. Her mother says it, and then later she says it to her father... But everyone's just talking about this thing her father once said to her that you never hear. What the hell are you talking about, Chen Li? This Her mom is... said you used to say this. I never said that. Her idiot brother said that. You remember your Uncle Frank? The one in the wheelchair. Yeah. He would always say, "I no, I can't stand up. Standing's not exactly easy for me, is it? He wasn't bitter, but he was a matter-of-fact kind of guy. Anyway, 
It, yeah, it's nonsense. Like, this is one of the points where I start falling in love with this shitty movie, where it's like, her head bandage looks ridiculous. Why are we talking about a thing her father said to her instead of just having the father say it? Wow, we might have just a real shitty movie on our hands here, Chad. This movie feels like a Lifetime movie, but with some martial arts sprinkled in it. You could have just stopped at Lifetime. <laughs> Both of those things are true, though. And so now we go to Shadaloo headquarters in Bangkok. Yes. Which, come on, man. I mean, like, I know that's a thing in the game, but if you're changing shit around, let's get rid of Shadaloo. It's... <laughs> the dumbest bison is having a, a dinner party for all his partners i guess like this is what i can ferret out because it's not really well explained yeah they're all the heads of a bunch of crime families yeah and he's like i'm taking over bangkok and they're like the fuck you are he straight up tells him he's like i you be pledging your loyalty to me or and there's not going to be any trouble ah you don't do this and there's going to be a bloodbath that would inspire bono to write a song commemorating all of the lives lost. Sunday, bloody Sunday. How dare you invoke the name of Bono? One by one, each of these members of the five or seven or ten families, they, they all object to Bison's demands. And then one guy objects speaking Russian. And then another guy objects speaking Japanese. And then another man, according to the subtitles, he objects speaking a foreign language. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't watch it with subtitles, but the thing I like about this is Neil McDonough being like, oh, I know your language. You're not fooling me that way, boyo. And and then we'll just in a real <laughs> shitty accent reply in their, their own language, which is probably what pissed them off in the first place. I don't know if you know this or not, but Chatterlaw is the parent company that owns Rosetta Stone. I can speak all of your languages, including you over there with your cluck cluck and your TikToks. I know them all. <laughs> I love this idea. I, I, I learned Portuguese. Got no reason. I just own the company, you know. <laughs> and Bison just tells these guys, he's like, if you're not pledging your loyalty, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Get out, you ungrateful bastards. It's drinking time. So after they leave, he sends Vega off to murder them while he eats dinner. And this is another good decision this movie makes where, yes, let's avoid seeing all of that and just watch Neil McDonough eat for a minute. <laughs> But if you're watching this movie and you don't know the video game, which was me, I don't know who or what a Vega is. This guy plops down out of nowhere and he's wearing this silver mask and he's got Wolverine metal claws sticking out of one hand. And yeah, he just goes over and slaughters all of these people and you just hear them screaming and yelling while Bison is eating his dinner. Yeah. Oh boy, this is a quite a delicious shepherd's pie we got here. Vega, Vega's making a quick work of them boys out in the yard. I'll tell you that much. Hoi, hoi, hoi. Michael Clark Duncan walks in wearing his signature black tank top, black jeans, and lots of gold chains. This is the only outfit he wears through the entire movie. It's his look. It's just kind of his thing. This movie has a real problem with whether it's a silly video game movie or if it's somewhat grounded. Because there are scenes that feel very grounded and, try and trying to go for some measure of reality. And then there are characters like Balrog, who is this giant dude who never changes clothes and is just super strong. And it, so, yeah, he comes in and is just like, I got a thumb drive for you. It's uh, the pornography you asked for. 
I didn't ask for pornography. I wanted to hear a Chopin piano concert. I thought that just meant pornography. Well, it did, but I can't be that obvious about it. All right, we're good. Anyway, so we will find out the secret of the thumb drive in a minute as if any of this matters. But we got to get to maybe my favorite thing about this movie. All right, there's a crime scene investigation going on because the bodies of the dudes killed at dinner by Vega are found inside like a big, uh, like a boxcar or some shit. Yeah, it's like a shipping container at the Port Authority. Yeah. Moon Bloodgood, who is the lady detective in this, and it's awesome that her name name is moon blood good that's the actress uh-huh. who plays her her character is detective maya that's how i have her in my notes all right or, or, or actually my notes were is that tia carrere yeah like notice you never see the two of them in the same movie chad i, I know tia carrere is double dipping as moon blood good that's why it sounds so made up she had to write that down on her SAG documentation. Uh, first name, Moon. All right. Last name, Bloodgood. Like it really? like it sounds. Like it sounds. Could you go and be like a pornographic actress with that name? No. Doesn't that really well, just imply I have AIDS? Your name's <laughs> Moon Bloodgood. Mm-hmm. You're clearly HIV positive. It's like telling a cop you're not drunk as soon as he pulls you over. Sir, what's your name? I'm Johnny Sober. Sir, you're going to have to step out of the car now. I, I, <laughs> I have to send you to prison. Uh, so <laughs> Let me pull my pants up first. Hold on a minute. Sober as the judge. That's what my balls say. Detective Vaya shows up at this crime scene on a motorcycle. Police issued one, one presumes. Wearing high heel boots and tight blue jeans and I think a leather jacket. Yeah, there's a leather jacket involved. And then the perpetually squinting in this movie, Chris Klein shows up and really tells you what what you're in for. Yeah, he's Detective Nash. Yeah. And he works for Interpol. And in this movie, I felt like his performance was really a nice blend of the weighty acting range of Keanu Reeves and the receding hairline of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, he is 100% intensity in every moment in this in this movie. Like, as soon as he gets out of his car, he sees uh, Detective Maya's ass. And the first thing out of his mouth is, I love my job. The dialogue that these two exchange should really be left to the talented folks at CSI Miami. It's the best. He's like, like Nash strolls up and he's like, huh, all the heads of the crime families of Bangkok, huh? And and she's like, uh, yeah. And he's like, hmm, you just inherited a big problem. Man, and like he's always... In my mind, this may not even be true, Chad. I don't even remember anymore. But in my mind, he's always chewing on a matchstick. That's probably doesn't happen, but he ought to be. No, constantly taking off or putting on his sunglasses, which he never wears. Yeah, like that's the character we have on our hands. And he is all just gravelly voiced, smoldering intensity. It's real dopey. Right, but the thing is, Chris Klein's not that good an actor. No, he's not. And he has a weird comb over that I think is clearly hiding like a Friar Tuck bald spot. Okay. It's like a backward comb over i thought it was a pretty good look um you know <laughs> i mean one of us may or may not have gone to a barber recently and said <laughs> give me the nash so <laughs> <laughs> 
And and surprisingly, they knew what it was. They're like from Street Fighter: The Legend of Chun Li. I'm like, exactly. You must be a Pick Six listener. Yeah, I'm getting ready for the show. We cut back to some underground lair and uh, a hollow deck, Chad. We cut back to a hollow deck. Well, but on this hollow deck, we unceremoniously find out that Chun Li's dad, what, isn't dead. He's got these three bay windows that are actually digital screens that show different selected views to the outside world. And Chun Li's dad, he also has a weight bench in his prison cell i guess to work out like his arms and upper body maybe his core i don't understand why they would actually give him weights you know because well, it well it's so uh originally it was just because the gun rack needed propping up and then that was a problem so they ended up chad just getting him a, a cabinet full of throwing stars and nunchucks right it none of this makes any sense why on earth would you ever here's an idea pick up one of those dumbbells Get behind the door. In a few minutes, the man in black will come running around the bend. The minute his head is in view, hit it with the dumbbell. Finish him. Finish him your way. My way isn't very sportsmanlike. Little princess bride for you there. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, I didn't even, I didn't even recognize it. It's been that long since I've seen the princess bride. <laughs> that's that's on me. That's my fault. <laughs> so on the holodeck, Bison comes in and is like, Oh, what you looking at, boyo? And <laughs> I always thought you'd be a city man. But here you are looking at pictures of the, of the Irish countryside. Iron go bra. Oh, Danny boy. The, Irish. the pipes, the pipes are calling. Sing with me, boy. Sing it with me, chun dad. I don't know your name, but you know the words. From Dale to Dale. <laughs> oh, it, it puts a tear in me eye, it does. I brought you a thumb drive. No, it's not pornography like the last time. <laughs> then he's like, here's what I need from you, Boyle. I need the addresses of all the families of the Bangkok Board of Directors. And he's like, Board of Directors? I don't think that's how it works. And he's like, I need the names and addresses of the Bangkok Board of Directors. Do you have shit in your head? <laughs> he's like, yeah, all right, fine. And, and he's like, what are you going to do? Like, they're, they'll never give you the control of the city or whatever. He's like... Oh, I need the addresses because I need to know where their families are, boyo. I'm a villain after all. I'm going after the wee ones. Bison sounds nothing like this in this movie. He he takes off. He leaves a, uh, the father to to muse on that, to chew on that. And uh, Balrog is hanging out with him. And uh, he's like, well, is he going to give you the information? And, and uh, Bison is like, you know, everyone has a price, boy. And I learned in the slums that people will do anything if they're hungry. He would even steal delicious breakfast cereal, perhaps with puffed oats and maybe some marshmallows of different shapes and colors. But I digress. Oh, look at the big yellow moon hanging in the sky, Balrog. <laughs> Ain't she pretty? We cut away from that uh, to uh, Chun-Li's dad, who was watching like the shittiest powerpoint presentation of his daughter playing piano with like yeah, spinning panels and stuff oh it's the best one other thing that happens is that just before this m bison uh, reaches into his suit jacket and he pulls out this conveniently placed photo album that has uh, two pictures one on the left is a younger woman with clearly visible cleavage and on the other side there's a young girl 
And you're like, well, who are these people? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe not. I don't care. Let's just keep rolling. It becomes a really dumb thing in in pretty short order, uh, which is good for us. Turns out that it's his dead wife and his daughter. But we'll touch on that a little bit later. But the reasons are so stupid, Chad. (laughs) Uh, We cut back to Chun-Li and her mom has finally died of her bandages. And we see... uh, She got the cancer and died (laughs) on a Tuesday. That's all I have to say about that. And Chun-Li cries at the grave. And then we we hear more voiceover. Wait, wait, hold on. She cries at the grave and she is surrounded by her servants and her butlers, her cooks, her maids, her chauffeurs, her yeah. handmaidens, her gardener, her pool boys, her roofer, her handyman, her pair, her royal wipers. They are all there. Yeah. It is everybody that, that she writes a check to that are contractually obligated to mourn. And yeah, so they all are just hanging out like, so should we, I mean, is there a reception or something? Are we cooking it? Is it just sandwiches and finger food? Is that what we're doing? Is it leftovers? After this funeral, Chun-Li goes downstairs and she opens up the mysterious ancient scroll uh, that was delivered to her friend's makeup chair. Uh, presumably and- weeks ago, Chad. We had we have no idea how long it's taken for her to like watch her mother die for the funeral. Now she's by the grave. Like all of this takes time. And she's just been sitting on this scroll the entire time like even if you didn't open it the first night the first thing that i would think about the next day after receiving a scroll is holy shit i got that scroll last night it's time i opened it the fact that this goes on for more than 24 hours is the most unrealistic thing in this film and this is a movie where people throw fireballs at each other (laughs) chun lee decides to go on a search to figure out what this scroll means because it's been a few weeks and on her way through the market streets of hong kong A mystery man with a broom shows up and kind of brushes her into this store. And the mystery man has the same jailhouse spider web tattoo on his hand. So he's the guy from the the subway platform who got his ass beat up. Or one presumes, or I also thought that it could just be part of this, like he's part of a secret order sort of thing, which is true. And we just don't know if there are other members because we don't. So do you think one of the members, they were like, hey, uh, Donald. Yes, sir. I need you to go down to the subway station on Tuesday and let some ruffians beat the shit out of you in front of this person, Chun Li, to see if whether or not she has a heart of gold and will come over and pretend to give you help. Yes, sir, boss. Whatever you say. I did that last week. How about Eddie? I'm tired of getting my ass beat at the subway platform. You you took the pledge. You're part of the spiderweb tattoo organization. You go to the subway platform whenever I tell you to. You don't even want to know what they did with an old beer bottle that they had. It's gross and I don't like it. Anyway, so a woman in the the shop owner asks Chun-Li if Chun-Li has something for her. And Chun-Li is like, how did you know that? And then she shows her the scroll. And then the old woman, here's where we get into some more just bullshit script stuff. Where she's like, this is not a letter, but it is a light that shines on you. What in the hell does that mean? And <laughs> she then tells, this old woman tells Chun-Li, you need to drop everything and go to Bangkok and find a guy named Gen. And she's like, you know what? That sounds right. Well, sure. And <laughs> so... She says this guy, Gen, leads the Order of the Web. And then she sees, like, that doesn't trigger the flashback, Chad. We've got to go a step further where Chun-Li then sees a picture in a book that the old lady has that is the same web tattoo. And now Chun-Li puts it all together. 
Well, then the movie puts it together for us. Because if you weren't paying attention for the last 20 minutes of this movie, let's have a flashback to connect all those dots together. We're going to go back to the subway platform and see this guy get his ass beat. Then we're going to flashback to about, what, 74 seconds ago when the sweeping guy brushed her into this store? Yeah, yeah, up to and including this scene. We are flashing back to the scene we're in. It's like that scene in Spaceballs where they're watching the VHS tape of Spaceballs and they get to the point of the movie where they're in the movie at that moment yeah it's crazy man i don't think i've ever seen a real movie that isn't a comedy do a same scene flashback that is some next level (laughs) shit that is tarantino-esque then we cut away from that nonsense to some other nonsense where at the gangland homicide headquarters in bangkok nash is just moving his shit in detective maya is like so what's going on he's like well i gotta tell you there's a criminal organization called Shadaloo and a guy that runs it named Bison. I've been after this guy chasing him through 11 cities on four continents and I've never been this close. And Detective Maya is like, well, where should we start? And he thought, man, this line, he goes, listen, you don't want a ticket to this dance. She then leans down so you get a good look at her tits and says, you've never even seen me dance. I'm like, oh, people got paid for this. I think Maya is wearing this low-cut revealing top that would really be more suitable as a hostess at Hooters and not as a homicide detective. I would be really, if I had to work with her, I would be like, look, I don't want to be gross and inappropriate, but you're also showing your tits off all day long. Can you knock it off for two seconds, please? You're dressed like you're going out to the, to the club to get fucked. And we're supposed to be like professionals working in an office environment. I I like when Detective Nash says, I'm here in this ashtray of a country that you lovingly call your home. I realize that's offensive, but where I live, it's way better than where you live here in this shithole. You know, that's what our president calls countries like this. Shithole countries. That's a fact. That is a patriotic red, white, and blue fact. Most likely tweeted out by one of the greatest presidents ever in the history of all time. According to the president himself, this country's a shithole. My country's amazing. I mean, just look at my hair. You th- you think this good hair lives in a shithole country? We cut back to Hong Kong. And Chun-Li just decides to leave her home, but not before saying goodbye to her personal trainer, her equestrian coach, her calligrapher, her elocution tutor, her nutritionist, her life coach, her upstairs life coach, her outdoor swimming pool lifeguards, Ron and John, the Aqua Twins, her indoor swimming pool lifeguards, Annie and Franny, the indoor Aqua Twins. It's a real tearful goodbye that took Chun-Li about like four days to really meet one-on-one with all her employees and say goodbye. And this include the employees that were brought on to staff when she started the goodbye tour four days ago. So it was a process. Did anyone ask the question like, are we still getting paid? Like, are we, are we still working here? Right. They're like, well, you know, we're going to miss you. And she's like, I'm going to miss you too. It's like, right. Are you paying us? Like, do we, do you, we need to stay here and take care of the house? Are you coming back? And then she finally does say like, I'll be back. And they're like, okay, so do we get paid in between now and then? Because like, we need food. Just because you're not here doesn't mean we don't need to eat. And anyway, sure enough, Chun-Li flies to Bangkok on this half-crocked advice from an old woman who runs a shop. And she she says she has to, according to the scroll, lose herself to the pulse of the streets. 
and become one with Bangkok, which almost certainly is going to end in disease, Chad. (laughs) She essentially goes from being a millionaire's daughter to sleeping on the streets. Right, but it's the kind, like, it looks like she's just camping in the urban landscape of Bangkok. You know, like, she still looks pretty good. She Yes, yeah. she falls asleep near the docks, but Bangkok ain't, like, you know, 12 degrees outside. I went to Bangkok, and aside from it being a very humid place, it's really overrun by transvestite prostitutes, of which I saw none in this film, which I was like, this is not authentic at all. Is that true? Did you was that really a thing that popped up? Walking through Bangkok was like walking through the makeup section of a department store where you looked around and you just saw transvestite prostitutes the way that you see 30-something women wearing white coats hawking a concealer and base. You could do a 360 and you would see no less than six transvestite prostitutes just hanging out on the street corners. I'll be damned. I was with a friend of mine and pointed this out and they said, I haven't seen any transvestite prostitutes. And I was like, look, there's one there and one there and one there. And uh, my friend was with me and she said, you mean the one standing over by the ATM machine? And I was like, yeah, the one by the ATM machine. (laughs) Yeah. That seems like the best beat. Like you would have to be like cock of the walk, so to speak, of of <laughs> transvestite prostitutes that you're like, hey, my, my beat is the ATM. They're like, man, fuck you. That, like, that's right where they get the money. Right. Right. That's because I'm the best, Margaret. <laughs> Suddenly I'm on the side of the, the prostitute. Uh, Good for you. Yeah. You're a free thinker. I, I like to think so. Anyway, so she, uh, after falling asleep near the docks, She's complaining uh, in voiceover about how hard it is on the streets and how every meal is a gift. But like I said, she looks pretty put together throughout all of this. Yeah, she's wandering around in her white Doc Martin boots looking for this guy Spider Gin. And she's just like hoping eventually their paths will cross. They're in a major metropolitan area, but you know, do 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 My favorite part of this like montage of her just wandering around in the VO being like, I wandered day and night. I felt like I was chasing a ghost. And who could possibly care? And why is this scene going on so long? But in the middle of it, there's a point where she's walking down like an alley of shops and then a train starts coming through so everyone has to pick up their awnings and move it back like five feet as this train goes through like it was a flea market called on account of train that shit straight up for real that was awesome yeah. So anyway, they would, like that was the the coolest part of this scene because it felt like it was something like authentic and interesting and and something you would never see anywhere else. Or I certainly had never seen it anywhere else. I thought it was cool. I felt like every scene shot in Thailand, aside from the actors who were paid for being in this movie, no one else in this film knew they were in a major motion picture. <laughs> There's a scene later where a bunch of Hummers roll through the streets and they almost run over a few people. They're just like, what the fuck? What are these trucks coming from? Holy shit, we're all going to die. Is someone making a movie here? (laughs) Margaret, did you not tell me they were making a movie? I swear to God, you are not getting the ATM on my nights off. Chun Li is wandering around and she says, Everywhere I looked, there was crime without punishment. I wanted to do something. And I was like, You what are you gonna play him a concerto? You haven't taken kung fu lessons since you were ten. You're twenty-five now. What are you gonna do? And the straw that broke the camel's back, Chad, is her seeing some punk shoplift a tacky shirt. Like, oh shit, how are we ever going to survive? This culture is going into ruin. You know how many cassette tapes I shoplifted when I was a teenager? (laughs) 
We cut to M. Bison lording over this scale model of Bangkok where he says, Ha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Look at all this land, Michael Clark Duncan. Soon I'll have access to all the slums and I'll be able to develop it as I fee fit. Orange condos, blue apartments, green townhouses. All of this will be mine, regardless of the fact that I'll be displacing a notable portion of this city's population in a culture that has a clear, distinct class structure and a complicated governing relationship between the military and the current monarchy yeah it was a really good monologue and <laughs> Mike, michael clark duncan replies he's like yeah location 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 am i right up top also here's a letter and uh <laughs> he's like it's the white rose and bison well he says so uh how you know how long has it been and bison says oh it's been exactly 17 years four months and six days since i last saw the white rose he says, I want you to be bringing the package to Bangkok now, Balrog. And Balrog's like, yeah, I got that. Oh, uh, you know that girl that we were videotaping and I spent all that time making a presentation and like the panels would kind of swoop around while she was playing piano. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, but it like took what you have to do is you have to like kind of green screen the boxes. I, I know. I know what you did. I saw it. It spun around. It was it was fine. <laughs> I worked a lot on that anyway that girl <laughs> the pianist yeah that girl uh she's missing now we don't know where she is uh we think she's here in bangkok we don't know why is she playing a concert are you getting me tickets why should i give two shits about a girl who plays the piano i just thought you might like to know that's all man hey it's your world i'm just living in it right so talk to you later bison chen lee's on the city streets and she walks up to this food vendor and she looks all hungry and the food vendor just gives her an egg roll and i'm like chen lee is still rich right like she didn't give away all of her money i mean she's still a millionaire's daughter she's just living in bangkok right now, apparently she took a vow of poverty as soon as she got on the plane and was like i guess i'm poor now i gotta say man watching uh this scene i was like boy i i could go for some spring rolls in thailand there are street food vendors everywhere and it's kind of a sort of a thing that you eat street food which leads me to tonight's quiz bo i'm gonna test your knowledge of street fighter 2 characters against thai street food cuisine (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Alright, let's do it. If the following is either a character from Street Fighter 2 or Thai food, street cuisine in a game I like to call Street Fighter 2 character name or Thai food, street cuisine. Mm, Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Here we go. Guy Pad King. Uh, That's street cuisine. Ryu. Uh, That's a street fighter character. Tom Yum Gung. Uh, Street cuisine. E Honda. Uh, That's street fighter. Gang Sun Pak Rong. Street vendor. Guile. Uh, That is street fighter. Gang Cal one street vendor chun lee street fighter gang mass man uh, street fighter blanca street fighter gang jude street vendor zangief uh that's street fighter jim jum street vendor dalsim street fighter kaunafet uh, street vendor balrog street fighter guy yang street vendor sagat street fighter kaumudang street vendor m bison street fighter larmu street vendor adon street vendor plow street vendor sagat street fighter sumtam street vendor young and yang street vendor cream of some young guy street vendor also margaret let me check your score you need 17 to win you got 18 (laughs) that seems unlikely chad i don't know if this will play let me (laughs) offer you my quiz a little shorter street fighter character or 70s make of car (laughs) oh i can't wait all right bora 
Street Fighter. That is the Maserati Bora. Wrong. Uh, Akuma. Matata. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, Zangief. Street Fighter. Sure. Makoto. A car. Incorrect. Damn. Blackhawk. Car. Correct. Vantage. Car. Correct. Rolento. Car. Correct. Commodore. Car. Correct. And finally, Crimson Viper. Car. Correct. Well done. Uh, some of those I skipped over because you had already given them to me, but it's nice to know that both of us had similar <laughs> dumb ideas. Later that evening, Chung Lee is hanging out in an alleyway, and then four drunk Thai ruffians start beating up an old man. And I'm like, oh, is this, you know, Spider-Man again? But it's not. Chung Lee goes over, and in an, in English, she screams out, hey, leave him alone. And then the leader of this Thai gang of drunken assholes in English says, none of your business, baby. And then he pulls out a butterfly knife and just starts whipping it around in dramatic fashion. And then Chung Lee exercises some muscle memory back to when she was 10 years old and her dad taught her Chinese Kung Fu. And then she just starts beating the shit out of these four guys. And this movie, in my opinion, needs a lot more of this and less of everything else that this movie has to offer. Yeah, yeah. There's some pretty fun stuff happening. Like I said, I don't think it's shot or edited well, but there, there's at least... Oh, it's not. It's at least something happening. Like, as she leaves the fight, though, she pushes over this heavy rack on top of a dude where she... Like, he's he's down. He ain't getting up. No. And then she murders him. <laughs> it's just like, here, fuck you. And she does it a couple of times in this movie where it's like, she's a psychopath. Yes. Yes, she is. So, and, and after, like, beating all these dudes up and then murdering one of them, she ju- she is plum tuckered out, Chad, and just collapses like, oh, there goes the day, and falls right down in the alley. Well, she's only got an egg roll in her belly to provide her the strength she needs to commit vengeful murder. The strength of 12 men. And <laughs> she is picked up from the ground by a guy with a web tattoo on his hand. Presumably, this is Gin. Spider again. Yes. And she is taken to his rooftop temple or whatever, where Liu Kang, I'm sorry, wrong movie, again, tells her like, hey, not for nothing. I know where your father is, but I'm not going to tell you because I'm a naughty boy, a naughty boy, a naughty boy. Spider again in this movie looks like a creation from the Jim Henson Creature Factory. He reminded me of those gelflings from the Dark Crystal. He kind of looks human, but his behavior and mannerisms look like there were maybe eight puppeteers all controlling a series of intricately connected workings right under his fake skin like when he turns left and right his shoulders move with his head yeah oh boy that would be great if like that's the one thing this movie is kind of missing is you need the the master in this scene to be a puppet like a, a yes. good old-fashioned Yoda. So she, she uh, he actually is like, hey, before, I, this may sound slightly familiar, Chad, but he tells her that she needs to put away her anger uh, because anger leads to hate. And before she can face her enemy, she has to find her inner peace. Then he says, like, you don't even know what you're up against. And then I'm like, you know what? Either of those motivations work. We don't need both of those. It can be, I'm here to look for my father, or it can be, I'm here to save the city of Bangkok. Or, you know, like I'm here for another reason, but I'm somehow roped into this uh, kind of internal conflict in this city, much like a fistful of dollars or something like that. And I just don't know that both of these things are needed. Like one of the problems with this movie is that it feels overly complicated in places it doesn't need to. 
You know, she just needs to be on the on the hunt for her father. We don't need all this shit right now. Well, when she went there, did she know her father was alive? I just thought she got the scroll and she had to go find Spider again. Right, there for no reason, right? I keep forgetting right. that she did all of this because an old woman was like, you should go to Bangkok. And she was like, I should go to Bangkok. Um, <laughs> I, Your bike is in the basement of the Alamo. <laughs> right. Yeah, and she gets there and they're like, there's no basement to Shadaloo. Um, so Gen takes her for a walk and, and tells her that he used to work for Shadaloo and that he created the Order of the Web, completely unlike Rajal Ghoul, who <laughs> you may remember from Batman Begins, which came mm-hmm. out four years before this movie did. Right. Where you had uh, a character that went away to a distant place and gave everything up to train with an ancient master who had started his own order of martial artists. Well, it's good that it came out earlier, because if it had come out later, they probably would have sued them for ripping them off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank goodness, because let's be honest, the, <laughs> the creators of Batman Begins don't give a shit about this movie. Like, yeah, yeah, steal the whole thing, we don't care. We're Batman Begins, it's fine. <laughs> oh, we don't have Liam Neeson, but we got our own Irishman. <laughs> Chun Li tells Spider Jin, she's like, I don't need your help to learn how to fight. Cut to the next scene. Spider Jin is training Chun Li how to fight. Yeah. And then he starts really beating her up. And then they go outside, and this movie just straight up introduces magic into the film. That is exactly my note of just we get straight up magic at the hour mark in this movie. Like, what in the fuck is this? Spider Jin conjures up this magic orb and he blasts it through some gongs on the wall and the whole time he's creating this yin yang sign in this oversized zen garden or like a cat box and at this moment chun li looks over with these wide eyes because she's like holy shit this guy's a wizard harry i mean like what in the hell just happened in the world it's that dual realization of one magic is real b the guy that i've been hanging out with all day knows magic and so at night gan is like hey you can make your own powerball uh but well i use birthdays of my relatives but he's like no you can make your own powerball uh by sitting here all cross-legged and and meditating and which is what he does he's making a big ball but she makes a little tiny little just little little ball uh she did not do it yet yeah it's it's a real wimpy one but at the same time you're doing magic how would you not do that all the time like every every free second of the day you had to yourself like i'm creating energy from nothing from sheer will i am a god this is why i should never have power chad Instead, Chun Li goes to an internet cafe to do research, and all the people in this internet cafe are playing games or just noodling around. None of them are looking at pornography. It should be noted. I do wish that I could have watched that guy play the flight simulator he was playing for a few minutes more, <laughs> just so I could really pin it down what it was like. Is that Microsoft Flight Simulator? I don't. Mm, is he playing a combat simulator? I don't know. Chun Li goes to an internet cafe and just Google's secret criminal gang, and then sees a picture of Bison show up. Yeah. With another lady, which is our transition to the board of director scene. And where it's like, oh, this is his bias. What is the investigation? Why is Interpol involved? We all know who this guy is. Well, apparently Interpol doesn't have internet. Right. They're still on dial-up. Microfiche. <laughs> They're going down to the shoeshine guy. What's the word on the street, Johnny? It turns out Interpol's got bad credit. It's hard to get a good deal on a cable package. <laughs> we cut to the Bangkok Board of Directors meeting. Where we get to formally meet Femme Fatale Cantana, 
This movie has way too many characters, by the way. And Katana works for Bison. And she is strong arming this board of directors into signing over the land in the slums. I think. Here's the thing. If Katana works for Bison, why don't we ever have a scene where the two of them are like discussing plans to get things done? I don't know. Why didn't her dad say, hey, Chun-Li, you should stand up when it's hard uh, to stand up? I don't know. Why doesn't this movie do the most basic things to introduce a character in relationships? Detective Nash and Detective Maya are listening to the conversation on these tapped phone lines between Katana and Michael Clark Duncan. So they're in on what's going on. And then it turns out that M. Bison is running a front company to hide the identity of Shadaloo to drive down real estate prices and buy them in an attempt to create a shell company to divert their U.S.-based capital gains in an effort to reduce their taxable income thanks to some antiquated loopholes in the Thai banking system. Clearly, it's a plan so crazy it just might work. Yeah, not since uh, Star Wars Episode One has uh, the politics of trade been so fascinating. Uh, If I may, not since those Star Wars prequels (laughs) and the whole Federation (laughs) intergalactic political intrigue of treaties and space tariffs have i cared less about the motives of a bad guy in a movie yeah yeah, at least lex luthor had the good grace to be like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna buy a bunch of this cheap property and then i'm gonna nuke part of the country and kill a bunch of people yeah so that this property is now valuable like that's a (laughs) villain plan i can get behind this whole like oh what i'm gonna do boyo we're we're pushing crime into the neighborhood to drive the prices down you see and (laughs) and then once the prices are rock bottom that's when i buy it up it's genius he's just gentrifying banka yeah yeah oh man it's just the worst and and nash has a couple of great moments in this scene though like when he overhears the conversation between michael clark duncan and this lady he has a, a, a moment where like michael clark duncan says yeah you need to get on the minister of commerce and they cut to nash and goes sounds like someone's gonna own the minister of commerce and it's like yeah thanks <laughs> good th- good thing you're here detective and <laughs> And then afterwards, when uh, Nash is like, boy, that Esperanto is a front for Shadaloo. And then he says, we got to move on that. And then everybody just runs off. And I'm like, where? Where are you going? What is what is your plan? What are you moving on? Is it the fact that Esperanto is a front? Are you trying to get... What is happening? What is your investigation about? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. It's just... It's nonsense. And then a bunch of military thugs just start rolling through these slums and evicting people and causing may- mayhem and anarchy. Michael Clark Duncan and Bison, when they're rolling through the slums of Bangkok, Michael Clark Duncan says, Hey, didn't you grow up here? And then Bison... Bison says, ah, yes, tis me old stomping ground where I learned to river dance and would while away the afternoon singing Danny Boy and strolling through the clover fields in me bare feet. Ah, reading some James Joyce, enjoying the rich prose and the emerald countryside. Drinking a Guinness and whiling away the afternoons. Ha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Perhaps listening to my favorite band, the Dropkick Murphys, don't you know? Detective Nash and Detective Maya, they're on this stakeout, and Nash thinks that the two of them might get made, so he just starts making out with Detective Maya, and when Detective Nash stops kissing Detective Maya, she's just breathless. If movies have taught me anything, it's that women really like it when you force yourself on them sexually. While she is reeling from this, he just says very coolly, that had to be done. And in the background, Radiohead's creep starts playing. And then Nash is like, 
put a tell on that seed, why don't you? We've got, we've got a car to chase. And so they go after Michael Clark Duncan's car. Meanwhile, <laughs> we hear Chun-Li, or we're, we see Chun-Li overhearing, like, she is at the destination that Michael Clark Duncan was heading toward, where he is now telling the commerce minister, there uh, there's a package called the White Rose coming in. And it's the minister's job to make sure it gets into port safe. And you're like, again, who could possibly care about any of this? I don't. Not me. I don't know what's coming in. I don't know. Whatever. And then we cut away from Chun-Li getting that piece of information to go to a training scene that is in no way, Chad, reminiscent of another movie you might have seen where the main character is blindfolded and there are spherical devices whipping around her and she has to use sort of a sort of a force, Chad, to to mm-hmm. figure out how Gen is hurling these ball bearings at a bunch of bells and she's got to snatch them out of the air. Well, one thing that you left out was that before Spider-Gen starts whipping ball bearings at her, he turns on a table saw over in the corner, I guess maybe to to create a real element of danger and a distraction through its loud whirring sound. (laughs) Yeah. Because as he starts whipping these ball bearings, eventually she starts catching them and then dropping them. And then Spider-Gen just kind of was like, you know what? This isn't working. I'm going to throw a ball bearing at her back and he smacks her, which causes her to fall face forward into this table saw. But she luckily catches herself and her head is not split in two. Then spider Gin is like, you know what? Fuck this. He just grabs a sword and jumps in the air to chop her head in half. But she grabs the sword with her hands. Again, she's still blindfolded to prevent herself from getting brained. And I'm like, does spider Gin want to kill Chun-Li in this movie? I didn't think so until he pulled the gun. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's just him trying to murder her and her like barely escaping death. And then once she catches his sword and takes it from him and puts the sword to his throat, at that point he's like, hey, great, we can eat now. Let's go get some dinner. You did a great job. Well done, Chun-Li. It's a star for you today. About we- Could you get out? If you were going to try to kill someone and your murder attempt failed, could you just be like, well, good job. You passed your survival training. Yeah, there were one of two outcomes uh, to tonight's session. I was either going to have a lot of work ahead of me or you were going <laughs> to be the chosen one. So, you know, thumbs up, Chun-Li. We cut to Detective Maya's apartment where Detective Nash is wandering around while Detective Maya is finishing up taking a shower. Right, he shows up like an hour early to their stakeout. And she's like, I'm just taking a shower. He's like, that's fine. I'll just hang out here and go through your things. Detective Maya has a pair of handcuffs attached to her bed headboard. And for me, I was like, I don't know where this use of handcuffs falls on my Venn diagram of acceptable use of handcuffs by the police and people who are into light BDSM. It's really in that middle overlap area. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's doing double duty and better yet. They're solid gold. Like these aren't work cuffs. These are, hey, I I paid someone for very special handcuffs. Believe me, they are the classiest, nicest, most elegant handcuffs you can use in the bedroom or on the streets. Hmm. Uh, But sir, isn't uh, gold one of the softest metals and therefore one of the least likely to make good handcuffs? I've heard people are telling me that it is the most durable metal on the planet Earth. And who are these people, sir? (laughs) My good friends, Sean Hannity. Tucker Carlson. Also QAnon. 
QAnon is telling me about the gold. Uh, so anyway. So Detective Meyer, she comes out of her apartment and she's wearing clothing that one would expect to find behind the bar at a Coyote Ugly. She's wearing <laughs> boots, jeans, and a bra. And she's got wet hair because she just got out of the shower. And Detective Maya, she's a little modest. She's a lady. So she puts on a shirt. But oddly enough, when she puts on this shirt, there are these two giant stains on her nipples of her top. Did you notice that or is that just me? I thought it was kind of the underboob where there was the, the water stain. I thought maybe she was nursing. <laughs> nursing a hangover. I mean, like, <laughs> the the flirting that happens back and forth between Nash and Detective Maya in this scene is the way that alcoholics flirt, you know? It's just a lot of, hey, are we going to get around to doing this or what? Yeah. I mean, maybe, who knows? It's a lot of that, like, man, this is a really hard job. Oh, re- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you really taste the fear in the air? And it's like, what? just stop it, you two. I've got a hard on for crime. Do us all a favor, go swap VD with one another and then get on with your day. Well, when she grabs her her cuffs off the bed, though, Nash looks kind of shocked by this. It's like you're working gangs for Interpol and and a little light bondage is where you draw the line where you're like, well, that's just on towards. Yeah, she says, I'll try anything once. And I'm like, really? Anything? What about suicide? You know, (laughs) what about child murder i would you know when you said suicide i was gonna say well you can only try that once and then i was like you know there were a lot of people that fucked that up though maybe it's like that daffy duck bit you know where he drinks the nitroglycerin the gasoline and (laughs) sure yeah shakes himself up yeah that's that's most suicides i think is people drinking nitroglycerin and then getting on a pogo stick blowing themselves up <laughs> you know what if that were true chad what a glorious pinata like world this would be <laughs> De- detective maya and detective nash go off on a stakeout and they're sitting outside of a club called insomnia and it's here we get to see Quintana, the woman that was uh you know shaking down the board of directors in bangkok well she gets out and she goes inside this nightclub Chun Li shows up and she's dressed full on like Princess Leia with side hair buns and all. And Katana, it turns out, is for no damn good reason whatsoever a lesbian in this movie. Yeah. And Katana is ogling women left and right like a wolf in a Tex Avery cartoon. It's like the worst version of that basic instinct club scene you ever saw. Season six, episode five, pick six movies. Uh, it's Chun-Li <laughs> kind of dancing sexy to catch her eye. Mm-hmm. And then Katana strolls over and then they dance flirt with each other. Yeah. And then Chun-Li kind of strolls off and Katana is like, oh, where did my sexy lady friend go? And well, Chun-Li gives her a real come hither look. In fact, it's she kind of like does the head nod of like, come on. Right, what's taking so long? I thought we were about to... I thought they were going to go up to the champagne room, you know, the private rooms where you get the the one-on-one action. But instead, these two roll into the ladies' room, and then Quintana just locks the door. And look, this is the only women's bathroom in this whole nightclub. You're about to piss off a whole lot of people. Hey, Quintana don't care. That's how powerful she is, Chad. She's about to bone in the ladies' room. Blah. 
<laughs> right. The place where everyone shits. That's right. The best place to have sex. We may have mentioned this on a previous episode of Pick 6 Movies, but my wife and I once shared worst public bathroom stories ever, and the horror stories she shared with me about women's bathrooms make men's restrooms look like surgical centers. It's all, Yeah, it's all the blood, I'm sure. I, it's everything. It's <laughs> everything. Yeah. You know, it's like when you, uh, as a guy, uh, I, I'm sure women hear this story much sooner than I ever did, but when you hear like oh yeah when a woman uh, gives birth there's a high chance of her just shitting herself simultaneously right and it's just like oh well yeah at the the glorious moment of life coming forth why not shit yourself that seems like nature's kicking the teeth you're gonna be disgusting my wife and i were once road tripping and uh, we pulled into a rest stop like a fast food restaurant or something that you need to use the restroom so i went in to use the restroom she came and she came out she got in the car she said we need to go somewhere else for me to use the restroom i was like why was it closed and she said no there were two bloody pads stuck to the wall oh wow and i was like whatever you say babe let's go <laughs> right i guess what what would the equivalent be like two used rubber stuck to the wall of a there is room? no equivalent yeah you're right you're right you get boogers and juvenile uh obscenities that's what's in a men's restroom wall maybe some piss and some shit you're not getting bloody pads what are we talking about again? Oh, yeah. So Chun-Li and her lady <laughs> friend are in the, the public restroom. And uh, Chun-Li <laughs> surprises her by banging her head off a couple of stall doors for a second. Yeah, she fucks her up, man. It like She thinks she's going to have a little sexy time. And it just turns into just like, just a real Donnybrook. Always does, Chad. Always does. That's what I like. A little conflict. <laughs> yeah. I, I always like it when sex turns into a fist fight. During this scene... Chun Li, I think, breaks Katana's arm three different times. And then Katana ends up just giving up information to where the White Rose is coming into port. And then the club gets evacuated after Katana's bodyguards start firing off weapons to shoot off the lock on the ladies' room. So everybody's screaming and they're running out. And then Chun Li escapes and makes her way to a strip club. And then more bodyguards come after her. And then Chun Li, she flips around on a stripper pole and she knocks out one of the henchmen who's chasing her and she climbs on top of this downed henchman she grabs his hand holding his gun points it at his heart pulls the trigger to shoot and kill him to make it what look like a suicide <laughs> right yeah he'd had too much uh, or something. Yeah, no, it is It is a straight up like John Wick murder. She very quickly went from concert pianist to sociopathic crazy person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get into this more in a second, but she just becomes the evil Batman in this movie where she does not give a shit about preserving life. She's not like every now and again, she'll string somebody up and we'll get to that. But yeah, for the most part, she's like, hey, look, if you get my way, look, that's on you. Chun Li's a juggernaut. You get on border you get out of the way those are your options during the strip club scene chun li gets surrounded by four other henchmen and they all have guns so she does a handstand and she spins her legs around in a circle to disarm the four henchmen and we get a cut of the necklace with the bird spinning around from earlier and I was thinking, is that what this necklace was meant to influence her to do? Spin upside down, legs spread in a strip club? Uh, clearly, Chad. Jeez. 
It's like it's like you never played a video game before. Detective Nash rushes in and he's like, "Whoa, everybody like freeze." <laughs> yeah, and Chun Li, of course, is just like, <laughs> "Fuck that noise, I'm out of here." And <laughs> and he's he can't bring himself to shoot her. Well, she was spinning upside down with her legs spread. He was hypnotized by that. Sometimes I love my job when- too much. Sorry, I made a business in my pants. And then uh, he chases after her when she goes up to the rooftops because that's kind of her move is to go to the roof and start running across mm-hmm. rooftops. Mm-hmm. Uh, very unbatman like once more. And then she just kind of jumps off a rooftop and disappears. And he's just like, huh, where does she get those lovely toys? And <laughs> then Chun Li lands on the street like a superhero. And just throws, as she sees this woman holding a baby leaned against a doorway and she, she robbed because she's a sociopath. Not only did she break, uh, Katana's arm multiple times, multiple times and give her like this cryptic message. Like you tell Bison that the schoolgirl's all grown up crack, you know, and also steals her money. She's like, this belongs to me now <laughs> and takes off with that cash, which she gives to this uh, one presumes very destitute woman and her child. But at this point in the movie, aren't you thinking what happened to Katana? So let's cut to the next scene where our movie's one and only lesbian is hung up by her hands with M. Bison literally beating her to death with his bare knuckles. It's like Rocky and that side of beef. He is just punching her over and over and over till she is dead. You you kind of see the aftermath of this uh, as like when he's punching, it's off camera because it's kind of the gag is you see Michael Clark Duncan using a uh, a, a heavy bag, like a, a boxing heavy bag to train on. And the camera kind of pans over and you realize that what Bison has been doing is using Katana as his heavy bag. And it's, it's kind of gruesome. Again, it's one of those moments where it's like, this feels like it's grounded in reality, but two scenes ago, we're making magic balls on a roof. And I'm not sure which movie I'm in from scene to scene. I mean, he's punching a person to death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I used Jack Johnson and Clifford DeLong. Some of the names for me fist spoil. And uh, then he says, we're going to need some insurance from this Chun-Li boil. Uh, call it Vega. And you're like, oh, right. That guy with the knife hand from the beginning of the movie. He's coming yeah, my, back. My response was, what is a Vega? And nobody in the audience knows what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, it, it, it is completely unexplained uh, and, and kind of remains so. But now let's get back to the real heroes of this movie. Nash and Detective <laughs> Maya, who are hanging out uh, in, in their office, their headquarters, debating who Chun-Li is. Or he's like, I don't know. Maybe she's just some kick-ass girl that I'm strangely attracted to. Detective Maya is saying, like, there's no record of her in the database. We don't know who she is. Is there anybody in the database who can do a handstand and also form the letter T? You know, it really reminded me of birds, you know, when they're under duress. Stop me if you've heard this before. (laughs) Everyone knows it. And so later on, there Nash is getting some some takeout on the streets while uh, Detective Maya is showing off Chun Li's picture to the locals to no avail. And Nash is like, "You're never gonna get anywhere. They're protecting her." And uh, then we cut over to Gin, where because yeah, we Sp- got to get some more unnecessary backstory for no reason. Mm-hmm. Spider Gin tells Chun Li the history of M Bison because they knew each other once upon a time when they worked for the Shadowloo. 
organization. And it turns out that M. Bison's parents were Irish missionaries to Thailand. And that M. Bison, he got very ill when he was an infant. In fact, he got so ill that when we see him, he is somehow turned Asian. Or something. like it, It's like his mother was was Thai and his father was a, no, a man, missionary. They said they're both Irish missionaries. I, they just filmed a little Asian baby and said, that's Bison in this movie. My hair turned light and my eyes turned lighter too. Uh, as I grew up, it happens all the time. You go from Asian to Irish. They they call it the Dublin doodad. Bison survives and grows up to become Aryan and a street thug. And then Bison apparently gets married and his wife is pregnant. And spider Jen tells this story. And he says that Bison took his very pregnant wife out to some sort of mystical cave where he kills his wife and like with his bare hands pulls the baby out of her womb and then he transfers his own like soul into his unborn daughter or his conscience i'm assuming this is like what pinocchio is like when jiminy cricket ain't around Jen says that he's transferring the goodness of his soul into his unborn daughter so that he will be free of his conscience so you know, good old concrete ideas like conscience and goodness. Um, you know, it, it it just doesn't mean anything. You don't know what it ever means and it never comes to anything. This movie is straight up bonkers, man. Yeah, like he just goes to perform a fucking ritual. Like one second he's the thief prince of, of Bangkok and the next second he's taking his wife into a cave to give his wife a C-section by hand so he can transfer his goodness? Couldn't Bison just be a bad guy? Why does he need to be a third trimester abortion doctor and voodoo priest? I don't know. And we'll get into it. But when he brings his daughter back, there's no clear indication of why or like, what is any of this about? And anyway, so after dropping this egg of knowledge on her, Gen tells Chun-Li like, hey, uh, now how about you go get us some breakfast? Quit sitting around listening to crazy stories all day. And she's like, fine, I'm getting out of here. I don't know how much of that to believe. While she's taken off, Michael Clark Duncan shows up with a bunch of dudes. And he's got an RPG aimed at Gen's rooftop hideaway. But they send like five soldiers over to beat up Spider-Gin. And Spider-Gin's making short work of them. And then Michael Clark Duncan's like, fire that RPG. And one guy's like, no way, man. My buddies are in there. He's like, give it to me. I'll fire it. And he just fires this RPG into this rooftop apartment. And it explodes in spectacularly shitty special effect fashion. And he starts laughing, which I like, where he's just like, I fucking murdered everybody. That was awesome. And then Chun-Li gets knocked down in the blast. And Spider-Gin is killed in the explosion. Or is he? He's not. He shows up. Yeah, spoilers. He's totally fine but she does see his like web medallion in the rubble so she thinks he died because she found his necklace and that makes sense sure uh, uh, more than most things in this movie chad at least i i see the the leap of logic there 
And then we cut over to Bison, where he's telling Vega, who's, you know, the guy, what with the metal mask and knife on his hand. I've got a problem, boyo. Her name is Chun Lee, and now my problem is your problem. Ha cha 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 cha. And this is not unlike the other Michael Clark Duncan film, Daredevil, where he played the Kingpin, and this is the exact same move where Kingpin hires uh, Colin Farrell as Bullseye to take mm-hmm. care of Daredevil so he doesn't mm-hmm. have to fuck with it. Maybe that's where M. Bison got the idea. Maybe Michael Clark Duncan told him. He was like, hey, at one, I was in a movie one time. <laughs> you should you should totally hire somebody to kill him. It didn't work out for me in the movie. And in fact, I was horribly beaten to death. I'm so glad I hired you on to be my number one. That's a brilliant idea. Have you been in any other movies? Because I got a question for you. My cock down here is covered up in VD, and it's not working quite right with the missus. Yeah. Do you think you might be able to, you know, suck it out and spray out a bunch of flying ants to make me dick work better? I mean, one way to find out. I think that was just special effects, but honestly, I never tried it outside the movie. I could be (laughs) capable of miracles. You know what? Put your hand on me, cock. Let's see what happens. You know, happily. So, Nash, uh, (laughs) we cut to him for like two seconds because he has discovered that Chun-Li is named Chun-Li and is a classical pianist. (laughs) And, (laughs) sorry. And, And he's like, Gotcha. And then we cut to Chun-Li, who is now being followed on the dark streets of Bangkok. And in typical Chun-Li fashion, she hits to the rooftops where she flips. A little parkour. Yeah, she flips around up there for a while. And it turns out that Vega is hunting her. And Chun-Li surprises him by jumping in front of him and going, ha! And (laughs) instead of just like hitting him with a brick when he's not looking, I don't know. And then she uh, ends up scuffling with him for a little bit. And then here's the head-scratching part of this fight to me, Chad. There comes a point where she flips around a chain link fence and kicks off his mask. Mm -hmm. And I expected that he would be horribly scarred or mutilated or a mutant or something like that. Right. Instead, he's a perfectly normal-looking guy. He's a handsome fella. He is, but Chun-Li, a little bit of a heartbreaker, Chad. But Chun-Li is like, I know why you wear a mask now. I'd hide that face, too. And I was like, man, that's just mean, Chun-Li. Chun-Li has very high standards. Maybe too high. She should get used to a life of loneliness if you think you're going to do better than this guy. Well, the only other guy she knows knows how to do magic, Chad. Of Mm. course it's an impossibly high standard. Like, how do you break the laws of reality as a potential suitor? During this fight scene between Vega and Chun-Li, Chun-Li throws a bunch of circular saw blades at Vega and one of them cuts his face. Then Chun-Li just straight up murders Vega and just hangs his corpse upside down from the rooftops. She is a psychopath. Tell Commissioner Gordon there's a new vigilante in town. Um, But yeah, like she straight up Batman hangs the villain upside down. The difference being this one's dead. Right. You know, Uh, this is less, (laughs) hey, come pick him up, boys, and and put him on trial. It's more of a, you know, here's more meat. Let the the turkey buzzards have him. (laughs) Right. Buzzards gotta eat same as worms, Chad. <laughs> My man, Al, uh, the outlaw Josie Wales, taught me that lesson. Is that a movie we would ever do on the show? Maybe, absolutely not. Uh, Maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't know the season, but I'd love to watch that movie again. Uh, I, which it turns out we can. I can just watch a movie and not talk about it on this show, Chad. I learned that uh, in season five. So Chun Li goes to some office on the docks and beats up some dude that we don't know. 
to get the time that the white rose which we don't know what that is will arrive so you know things are really coming into focus <laughs> right and then she just beats the shit out of this dude and he finally tells her like where the white rose is gonna be and then she says you should never put your hands on a lady and that's kind of it she just beats up this dude for no good reason other than you know he's being true to his employers i suppose yeah but he's also setting her up because he gives her misinformation that we're gonna find out here in a couple minutes right but who lied first chad she didn't know he was lying right when she well, lied to him as Homer Simpson pointed out, it really takes two to lie. One person to tell the lie and another person to believe it. That is a good point. So then we cut to the hero of the movie, Detective Nash, who is strolling into the Bangkok gang office and everyone's gone. He's just like, hey, what's going on in here? Everybody's cleared out. Detective Maya is like, our investigation into Shadalu is all shut down because you're right. They have deep connections into this government she actually says to him sorry charlie yeah and she walks off yeah that's unfortunate that's a catchphrase from starkist tuna from like 40 years ago <laughs> right circa 1980 we got to the shipping docks of bangkok and chun li is sneaking around like martin and riggs and some henchmen just start shooting at her. And Chun-Li runs over across the shipping container and she leaps into the air and lands on a moving van where she tumbles off, hits the ground hard, and she dies from multiple injuries is what would happen in the real world. Sure. But in this movie, she just pops up like, I'm okay. My bad. I'm good. Uh, how are you? I meant to do that. She's like jumping onto vans and boxcars and all kinds of stuff. And finally she lands on the ground. Gravity finally takes hold. Apparently she's like Daffy Duck where it takes a second for gravity to catch up. Or if she's right. not paying attention to being in midair, then it's fine. But as soon as she realizes how high up she is, she's like, oh, mother. And then crashes to the earth. Bison and his men catch her. Like, they, they surround her, and they've got guns pointed at her and all that. And Is there a problem, officers? <laughs> right. He says, <laughs> you better be believing you're not a schoolgirl anymore. And, which is what she said to Katana to tell him. And she did, apparently. Uh, we didn't see that ever happen or anything, but all right. <laughs> and then we cut to Chun-Li being tied up in a, a shitty room with uh, Michael Clark Dunglin just circling her like, I'm about to beat you to death. So Michael Clark Duncan orders some dudes to bring her father in. And then Michael Clark Duncan is like, I'm going to make a good decision here and just leave you two alone together unwatched. So don't get up to any funny business, right? And so they take off and we have a touching reunion between father and child with Chun-Li saying, I've been looking for you all my life. And he says, I try to keep you safe to have a good life. And, and Chun-Li says, I didn't want a good life. I wanted you, dad. And it seems like a mixed message, kind of. And she says, remember when you used to tell me to stand up when standing isn't easy? No, I, no. Mm. That was your, your brother-in-law, Ray J. Ray J used to say that when he had too much to drink. Remember Ray J in the wheelchair? I don't. And then immediately Bison interrupts where he's just like, I heard what you were saying about the standing up. It doesn't make a lick of sense. And he's like, so Chun-Li, your father here has been the milk of me business. 
But what does he do? What does her dad do? He's a hacker or something. It's it's really poorly defined. And and he he says this thing about him being the milk of business, and then he says, but but even milk has an expiration date. To which I would say, especially milk has an expiration date. When I think of expiration <laughs> dates, the first thing I think of is milk. I don't understand the analogy that he's the milk of his business. Yeah, I... What does that mean? Again, this is written by someone who has never had formal contact with a human being. It could it could have been written entirely by screenwriting software. I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> that would make more sense. <laughs> yeah, and so Bison is like, remember when I told you you'd have a chance to say goodbye, Chun Li's dad? Well, you said goodbye. And now, crack! And he just grabs Chun Li's dad's head and, and breaks his neck. It's pretty cold-blooded. The scene where he was beating that woman to death with his knuckles was pretty rough. Snapping someone's neck in front of their daughter really ratchets it up a little bit. It's considered gauche in most circles. Chun-Li is so filled with rage at seeing her father murdered in front of her that, you know, she's just beside herself having, you know, had this unceremonious emotional reunion. And all I kept thinking was, did he shit his pants when he got killed? I think he shit his pants. Yeah. He totally shit his pants, right? Yeah, it's like being pregnant, Chad. It like it's just what happens when you die. You evacuate you. <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan comes in, he's like, Hey, let's just hang Chun Lee upside down and we will beat her to death the way our boss likes. And so Michael Clark Duncan says, I'm gonna leave you two nameless henchmen here and I'll be back a little bit later. And so he walks out and then these two idiot henchmen are gonna beat up Chun Lee as she's dangling from her ankles. But then <laughs> but then Chun Lee uses her kung fu skills and she escapes she she, well, she headbutts a she dude gets out. that's how she yeah. initially gets out she just cracks her skull against another and then gets out of that upside down suspension thing and then yeah and then she beats him up. i like that she she immediately runs down the street and michael clark duncan is in the car and he looks around he's like oh shit i just left her turn this car around we gotta go kill her ourselves why why is he slowly turning into shaquille o'neal i only have like three voices. yeah it, I, I like it don't get me wrong <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan, he's in this car uh, that corners uh, Chun-Li and he gets out and he has a gun and he points it at her. And then there's a nearby kid in this like downtown area of Bangkok and the kid kicks a soccer ball and Chun-Li grabs the kid at the exact moment that Michael Clark Duncan shoots his gun at Chun-Li. And one might think that she's protecting this child, but upon repeated viewing, I think she's using this kid as a human shield. Yeah, it's like Martin Sheen from the Dead Zone. It is not an act of courage. It was a survival tactic. Yeah, I, I totally agree. She is trying to save her own life. And it works because we don't know what happens to the kid, but she gets a superficial wound. I like that as soon as she gets shot, there's a female fruit vendor nearby who throws a watermelon at Michael Clark Duncan's head and it bonks him on the skull. Yeah, yeah. And then more people join in and start throwing fruit at, our, at the villains. And they're just like, hey, man, they're throwing all kinds of melons and tomatoes and whatnot at us. We're getting out of here. As opposed to, like, you've just shot someone. How about shooting some more people? You don't give a shit about these people. You shoot until the fruit stops. That's why I give you all the guns, isn't it? To shoot the people. Michael Clark Duncan turns around and he says, 
somebody got a problem. Like that <laughs> that's his response. And then people just start chunking bananas and vegetables. Right. Dude, this it's it is crazy. And Chun Li, psychopath that she is, sees an opportunity to sneak away and does. Oh my gosh, what's over there? Yeah, you should probably keep throwing fruit at those dangerous people. I'll see everyone later or something. And yeah, so she sneaks off and then Gen shows up in an alley and is like, hey, I'm still alive. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, we should get you somewhere, uh, someplace where I can do some magic. And and that's exactly what happens. <laughs> He's like, hey, I've, I've got a new rooftop layer. The other one got blowed up. This is my backup layer. Yeah. This one has a bath. So how about you get naked and get in that tub and I'm going to heal your arm with some spooky magic he does he straight up heals her big old flesh wound with a little ding -a ding -a ding <laughs> oh how does that feel when i heal you with my magic that again this is why she can't date other people imagine <laughs> if ike turner was also telekinetic good god right right I Chad. Watch that movie oh are you kidding me what's love got to do with it <laughs> what's love got to do with professor x um <laughs> So after they sit around for a while and make some more energy balls, and hers is pretty good this time, the Gen is like, pretty soon you're not going to need me. It's like, I don't think she needed you for any of this. Nope. You know, like, yeah, she had a scratch on her arm, but she probably would have survived that. Yeah, little Neosporin. Yeah, thanks to the kid that lies bleeding in the alley, you know, taking the <laughs> the brunt of that bullet for her. So Chun-Li goes back to the guy that she beat up at the docks who gave her the bad information. And this time he's like, "Hey, I was I had to get, give you the bad information or they were going to they were going to kill me, but this time I don't. So here's the real skinny on the white row showing up at the docks. I wrote it in magic marker on the wall. It's legit now. Yeah. This is when it's really going to happen. I just keep forgetting that was a setup for some reason. Maybe because, well, because they don't explain it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's fair. That's fair. And then we cut to the Interpol safe house, uh, a.k.a. Nash's drink pit, right. where he is just getting liquored up on some bourbon. And right. Chun-Li shows up. And he she frightens him so bad he drops his highball. Yeah, it's a real, oh, oh, oh. hey, you startled me a little bit there. <laughs> I made another business in my pants. Chun-Li asks Nash, hey, I need you to be my backup. And he's like, okay. Next scene. So what exactly does that entail for your old pal Nash? I mean, are we a thing now? Because <laughs> I kind of got this detective on the back burner. I'm not ex exactly sure how to play it. I mean, maybe there's something with us or maybe not. And back up, back yeah, up. We right, right, right. But yeah, so we, we cut to some command center at these docks that Nash is in charge of somehow after the investigation got shut down. And then um, a bunch of uh, headlights are coming down the road and Nash is like, everybody be ready. This could be trouble. And instead, it's Detective Maya with a small army of Bangkok cops. Right. It's a SWAT team. And uh, he says, I thought you were out. And she says, well, me and these other guys grew up in this neighborhood. And I was like, the docks? Is that part of the neighborhood that Bison's buying? I don't know. Whatever. I was like, Detective Maya, she grew up in Bangkok? She looks like she grew up in SoCal. A hundred percent. She looks uh, like more Native American than Bangkok. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Bison and my Michael Clark Duncan show up and are just like, hey, oh, look at all the cops. There's bunches of them. Can you, have you ever seen so many cops, Balrock? And he's just like, you want to leave? Because there are a lot of cops here. He's like, no, 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 Boyle, I've been planning for this. 
And he has somehow intuited yes. where Nash and his team was going to set up their command center. He's that good. He's a good villain. Well, I, you know, he did ritual magic, so he's probably got spooky powers that we don't know about. He's got something going on. And he's rigged the place with a bomb, which instead of just exploding, beeps for a while to let everybody know, like, yeah, it, it might as well have a speaker attached where he's just like, oh, there's a bomb coming, everyone. Like a countdown. Uh, one. Five hole. <laughs> four hole. Three hole. Two hole. Seriously, you may want to get out of here. Things are about to get real nasty. You're about to have yourselves a real bad afternoon, Boyle. They hear the beeping, and Nash is like, everyone should get out. And they all <laughs> run out, and he gets a real hero moment where the bomb blows up as he's jumping out of the door. Yeah, slow motion action hero style. Yeah, yeah, which is wholly inappropriate for this character, who is just a walking erection this entire movie. This movie, at this point, turns into just a stupid Hollywood shootout. It's like watching a corporate team building at a paintball course. There's a lot of duck and cover and screaming and bullets flying that don't add up to nothing. Yeah, and also everyone's kind of dressed the same. Yeah. So it's hard to tell who's a villain and who's a good guy. And then Nash shoots, I think, a bad guy who was going to shoot Chun-Li, but it could have been a good guy considering Chun-Li's behavior. And he's just protecting his potential booty. Who knows? And then Gen gets on on the boat where the White Rose is, is coming in. And Chun-Li follows him. And uses her superior powers of leaping <laughs> to get onto this ship. But along the way, runs into a young girl that that's like, hey, have you seen my dad? I mean, there's only like five characters in this movie, but don't worry about who, who my dad could be. And she's right. just like, eh, get to safety, kid. You're lucky I don't murder you where you stand. Uh, which is what happens to most people who come come into contact with Chun-Li when she's in this kind of blood rage. Michael Clark Duncan shows up and starts punching Spider-Gan and a bunch of bullets are flying around. And then Spider-Gan gets the best of Michael Clark Duncan till Michael Clark Duncan picks up this metal gas cylinder and just smacks Spider-Gan around and like pins him to the ceiling. And then during their battle, Michael Clark Duncan lets it slip that the White Rose is a she. So we know that it's not a thing but it's a person but we as the audience we already know this we've known this since the white rose was even mentioned as a code word yeah yeah there's no surprise at this point no the, to, to anyone watching the movie the people in the movie are like what oh we figured it out yeah, nobody in this movie is great at at putting two and two together that is for no. sure detective maya gets clipped by a bullet in a firefight friendly fire it had to be sure. the way these people are just firing guns off it's you know it's like they're they're ringing in the new year and she t basically tells nash like oh keep going and he's like you got it i only have a cursory interest in you anyway and then he sees a helicopter take off and says that's gotta be bison and spider again uh gets the better of michael clark duncan and he freezes him to death by jamming a tube maybe with nitroglycerin or some sort of other freezing liquid into his body so michael clark duncan kind of really in a less than dramatic fashion is kicked out of this film like you said it's like well was that some sort of liquid nitrogen or something or i don't know whatever he just gets get some boils and i think he dies 
Uh, I don't know. And then Gen reveals that the girl that Chun-Li saw on the boat was actually Bison's daughter, who is named Rose. And she's the one who possesses all of Bison's goodness, question mark. Does that make her extra good? Like, not only if she found your wallet, she would put a hundred bucks in it before returning it to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, if, if she accidentally dents your car, she just buys you a new one. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she's like the, the country of Canada brought to life. I'm so sorry. Oh, jeez. <laughs> No, my, my my dad put all of his goodness into me. That's why I'm like this. But I'll tell ya, you, listen, you listened to my story for way too long. Here's here's some donuts. Thanks for listening. <laughs> no, this is so fascinating. Tell me more. You, there was a magic cave. Oh, yeah, but oh, geez, you know what? Listen, listen to me ramble. I'll tell you what. Here's a new home stereo. You can listen to something you really enjoy later. Detective Nash puts uh, Chun-Li and spider again on a helicopter to go chase after m bison who as you mentioned has escaped on his own helicopter and then m bison is reunited with his daughter the white rose and he says oh you're as pretty as a dream and twice as lovely as the dawn and m bison's daughter is from russia right she speaks russian yes i think that's i i think that's what's happening that his wife was russian and that i don't know where she went though like if he was if if she died when he ripped the baby out, which stands to reason. Why did he ever not know where she was? I don't know. And anyway, so he's like, oh, you're you're the most special girl in the world, you're. I built this whole empire just for you. Everything's going to be super cool. I'm giving it to the poor. I'll tell you, I'm going to hang on to it for just a wee while. But in time, you'll grow and learn how to use it. Then he's just like, Listen, I'm going to take off because I've got a wee bit of murdering to do. So I've left a guard at the door. By the way, if anything happens to her, I'm going to skull fuck you. Just just so you know. <laughs> All right, Boyle. And uh, the guard's like, totally, I'm cool. Like, nothing's going to happen to her. Meanwhile, something's totally going to happen to her. <laughs> and while he's there, like, everybody has just shifted this battle to the bison estate. Where Nash and his men are showing up. Chun-Li is there too. She's backflipping guards unconscious. And they're just murdering their way into the house. Yeah, but not as much crazy martial arts as a movie like this should have. It's a lot of just shooting people at this point. Right. And and Gen is there too, by the way. And he walks into the house and sees the model that Bison's been working on. Like, oh, look, I got me yellow slums and purple shanties. Again, is like, this is really inferior model work. I mean, the painting is rudimentary at best. None of this is to scale. This is real garbage. Like, when I was here, when I was working for Shadaloo, this would not have passed for our model plan. So... Uh, again, and a bison shows up and is like, Oh, what are you doing in here? Boy? Oh, it's time you and I fought. And, and they do So, uh, bison who has no, I guess like his lack of a conscience or goodness gives him super strength. Okay. <laughs> I'm, you know, we can't even sh- stitch together the fan fiction to make any of this make some kind of sense. But yeah, he no, he, it does. He's just super strong for no reason because everybody is in this movie, and he's just kicking again, like into walls and across rooms and all kinds of shit, and then just beats the shit out again, but leaves him alive on the ground for no reason. Like kill him. Spider King gets kicked out of a window, and he lands on a ledge, and then his leg is stabbed with a piece of glass or something. 
And then Chun-Li ziplines in and she just starts beating the shit out of Bison with this long piece of bamboo. And they trade blows back and forth for a while. But since Chun-Li is getting the better of the two, it's okay to watch a man beat up a woman. Until the tables turn and then Bison gets the upper hand and he really starts pounding Chun-Li good. Yeah, giving her what for. Yeah. And he almost wins. Like he's he's on the way to victory. And then she just drops a bunch of cement uh, bags on him. Yeah, it's a real vaudeville move. Yeah, yeah. They, they call that the, the Buster Keaton in the wushu circles. It's what took out the bad guys in Back to the Future 2. Yeah, it, it's amazing that his, like he didn't have just complete white face and blow chalk out of his mouth. and Tweety birds around his head. Yeah. And then Gen is like, you know what you need to do. By which I mean, fuck that dude up and murder him. Right. And Chun-Li summons like her, her Powerball, her Hadouken, and blows Bison off of the roof where he lands kind of on a ledge and then Chun-Li not like he's still kind of alive. He's real badly hurt. And detective Nash, who has previously discovered the white rose, he comes out of the main house with Bison's daughter just in time to see what Bo. Oh, Chun-Li jumps off of the ledge that she kicked Bison off of lands with her feet wrapped around his neck somehow in it like in a choreography that is reminiscent but a higher degree of difficulty to someone throwing a ball at you when you jump off of a a diving board (laughs) where you got to get the timing just right where she Mm -hmm. clasps bison's head between her feet and then as she falls spins around to twist his neck 180 degrees on his on his shoulders right thus killing him in front of his daughter, just as Bison killed Chun-Li's dad in front of Chun-Li. You ask anybody, kid, your mom had it coming. It's the circle of life. But if you ever want to come looking for me, I understand. Uh, A full-on the bride is what she gets here. So, yeah, she says all all psychopath-like, too, Chun-Li does, when she lands, you know, after breaking this dude's neck. She parrots a line that she heard from Bison, which is, all fathers have a weakness for their daughters. And you're just like, ugh, God, this is terrible. Like, everybody in this movie is awful and rotten, and there are no heroes anymore. Nash comes over, he's like, nice work. You know how to really get ahead in this business. <laughs> yeah! Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, just approving of her wanton murder. To the point where he's like, hey, you better get out of here. I'll cover up for all this. You'll totally get away with it. There's a helicopter. I assume you know how to pilot a her- helicopter the way you murder so easily. There's one on the other side of the island, and I never saw you. And she, uh, she says, hey, make sure you- that girl Rose... Gets a, a life worth living. And he's like, you too, Chun-Li. I mean, are we going to see each other again? Or is not the time? I get it. I get it. So I'll see you around. Or maybe I won't. I don't know. You you call me and we'll play it that way. And yeah. And then she takes off. And that's it. Like, that's the the action of the movie. We get some PSs here. Like, uh, we go back to the detective offices. 
where Detective Maya shows up and she's got her arm in a sling. And she, in their awful flirting, she's like, hey, Nash, if you ever get lonely at night, don't call me. And he's just like, you know, I get that a lot. Uh, <laughs> and then he watches her walk off like eyes glued to her ass and repeats his catchphrase line, Chad. I love my job. Ugh. It, yeah, it's it's terrible. It's really terrible. So back to Chad Lee, who is now at not just one grave, but two graves of her mm-hmm. parents because, you know, they were both killed by Joe Chill in the alley. And meanwhile, like once more, her entire staff is just hanging around. Like, I guess she's back, everyone. So back to work. Chop, chop, people. Let's get all the places. Hit your marks. Let's go. Get all the dust cloths off the furniture i mean are, are you saying are you gonna be using the full house or i don't just uncover it all people we'll we'll come back to it we'll circle back around when she's not weeping at her parents grave right first she she says in voiceover like my father would have been proud of me because i stood when standing wasn't easy remember audience when he never said that to me i'm done committing murder now <laughs> every night the screams of my victims wake me up from my sleep as I'm haunted by their families, who must every day wrestle with the agony of a lost loved one taken too soon from their young lives at my hands. The cold sweats that soak my sheets every night have become a real problem for the staff. And she says she found something, the thing worth fighting for is the Order of the Web, so I guess she is now the head of the Order of the Web? Or something? I don't know. And then, and so then Gin uh, shows up, and he's like, Hey, I was flipping through the the local paper and there was a flyer in there for this thing. And it's a tournament that just says Street Fighter. And he says, I'm going to go check it out. There's some dude. I think his name is Ryu. Wink. (laughs) And she's like, you know, I'd like to go, but how about you go fuck yourself? I'm done fighting for a while and I'm home. And he's like, all right, I guess we'll see you in the next movie. Street Fighter, The Legend of Ryu. And, right. and then the scroll uh, from earlier rolls across the screen and we get the title of the movie again. Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li and done. Finn. That's it. Oh, Chad. The- not a good movie. No. Not only not a good movie, it don't make no sense, Chad. This movie careens from plot to plot and character to character willy nilly like. It is utter nonsense, and as much as this is an awful, awful movie, I still find it to be pretty entertaining because of how crazy it is. I agree. I feel like it could have been crazier. There should have been more martial arts. There should have been more ridiculousness. Like, watching a lesbian get beat to death by a crazy Irishman kind of grounded it more in, like, a disturbing reality. Yeah. I really thought that it should have been more silly and over the top, but it wasn't, but... Okay, it's not good. It's awful. If you've never seen it, please don't. Right. No, I I mean, I don't think either of us would recommend this movie to anyone, except under those very particular circumstances where you know someone who likes to goof on a movie, because this movie is rife with opportunity for that. How would you rank our six films from this season, from worst to best, or from least recommendable to most recommendable. All right. Well, you know, this one is tough because none of them are good. No, they are not. I I think, I kind of think the the one I would recommend the least is probably Wing Commander. 
That's my bottom. Yeah, that because that one is both bad and boring. Yes. Uh, although I think it's hilarious. Then I would go Angry Birds. Mm. Angry Birds, Chun-Li, Pixels, House of the Dead, Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider's your top? I just think it's the closest to an actual movie. What wow. like what what is your choice? Pixels? I put Wing Commander as my bottom, and then Chun Li is my number two. Coming up, House of the Dead, Angry Birds, Tomb Raider, and Pixels at the top. Oh, see. It's the closest thing to a real movie. And I was just thinking just for general movie going audiences that I think people would watch that. And it's the closest thing to a real movie that might have a couple of legitimate laughs. But everything else, I mean, really, this was just a, a a trough of garbage that we were digging through this season. Yeah, I like how my movies were the bottom three for you. I don't know whether I should apologize or accept your gratitude. I didn't realize that till just now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I went out of my way to make sure that the movies this season that I chose were trash. And I feel I succeeded. That's not going to be true for next no, season. No, 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 not at all. We have it planned. It is coming up, and our next season theme is going to be, uh, what did we call it again, Bo? Uh, this one is going to be called, not that one, this one. Where we are going to be taking a look at six films that have been remade, rebooted, reconstructed, re-envisioned, where uh, inevitably someone would ask you, hey, have you seen that movie? And your response would be, no, not that one, this one. Yeah. And we have, uh, I think, a, a great selection of movies, both uh, both good and and some questionable. But uh, I'm I'm very excited. Uh, like I said, I went all the way to the trouble of getting a Blu-ray sent from Germany to watch one of the movies in a way that uh, would be most pleasing. most normal people would. Right, right. But the fact that this movie is not available on Blu-ray in the states, we'll get to it. But that's criminal. But we've, we've got six really good ones. I think that the next season is going to be probably one of our more mainstream seasons that we've done in a while. There's some, there's some fun stuff that we're going to have a really good time with. So this is the end of this season. Game on. Uh, and, uh, we're going to move on to, to bigger and better things. Bo, any final thoughts as we say goodbye to our video game inspired motion pictures? No, uh, just thanks as always for listening. Thanks for, for dropping us a line, uh, when you do such a thing. Uh, if you would head over to iTunes and or the podcast catcher of your choice, leave us a rating because that does, uh, help the profile of the show. So if you're enjoying it, hey, that's the, uh, the best way you, you can help us. And, or tell a friend. Yeah, yeah. Just tell people, you know, give them a lesson. Yeah, friends, loved ones, bitter enemies. <laughs> tell them all. So, as always, we're going to take a few weeks off as we uh, begin to compile another season. So, we should be back here in just a few weeks with another six episodes for your listening enjoyment. So, go back, revisit maybe some of our classic episodes if you're looking for something to listen to. And if not, come back and see us again. And we will return with a new fresh batch of Pick 6 Movies.